You're listening to episode 105 of the Comics Pals, where a group of comic book journalists and friends record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Witches brew, severed heads, devil's horns and tails, <laughs> six, 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 pumpkin guts, pumpkin eyes, and Frankenstein's toes. <laughs> Summon Dirk Manning upon this world, or Wilson Fisk will sever your head too. <sighs> What's up, guys? Hey! Dirk! It worked! <laughs> awesome! I heard a uh, uh, a calling out in the ether, and uh, since I have a weekend off the road, I thought, I'll answer that summoning call. Tis the season, after all. And what better way <laughs> to spend the Halloween season and with my pals, the Comic Pals. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for joining us. What the people at home cannot see is that we actually put out a bowl of ice cream. And it wasn't <laughs> Phil's uh, idiotic rambling that someone did. It was actually the ice cream. I just drew a pentagram with a nice bowl of ice cream right in the center. No, but no, to be to be fair, what readers at, or what viewers at home may not realize is there was a bowl of ice cream. There is not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I rambled about was in the ice cream. That's how you summon Dirk. Oh, okay. Though, hey, lest we forget, Frankenstein was the doctor, not the, the creature. But we took the doctor's toes. All right, as long, as long as I know what toes I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> We Wait, call that Sunday the Manning. <laughs> well, you know, let's not get lost in the details, Sean. Let's not get lost in the details. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, Dirk is making a reappearance here on the Comics Pals. Uh, we first had him on the show last year around this very same time. Uh, we always love to get our spookiest friend in comics on the show uh, for our Halloween edition. Uh, so if you want to hear that, you can also go check that out. Before we jump into our conversation with Dirk, I just want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We are at the Comics Pals. Wherever your social media is sold, you can get us on SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts and all those other cool places. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, or your thoughts on anything we talk about on this or any other episode of the show. And last but not least, if you're checking this out on YouTube, thank you. Leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you. Real quick, we've got our Infidel book club out. Uh, again, a horror comic. We chose, uh, I chose what I thought uh, is the one of the best uh, horror comics of the year. Um, and uh, a book that a lot of people are raving about. And we had a blast talking about it. So you're going to want to check that out for sure. Um, we've just got a ton of other stuff uh, out there on YouTube. Including my interview with Dirk Manning from New York Comic Con 2018. Yes, yes. So, turning the spotlight over to you, Dirk, uh, how's it going? You've been on the road for a long time, uh, tons of different conventions. How do you keep up with all that? You know, I, I best equate it to uh, if you've ever seen Looney Tunes uh, with Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yes. Uh, we all know that, you know, Roadrunner being very fast, he can actually like run off of a cliff and run across the gorge to the other side on thin air. <laughs> and um, Wiley e. Coyote, what he can also walk on air pending he doesn't do one thing. What is, the, any of you know the one thing that he cannot do? Look down. It'll ruin the effect. 
look down, right. So I, I look at my my very uh, my very thorough, my very grueling convention schedule every year like that. I just don't look down, you know. <laughs> I just go. But uh, yeah, I'm at the tail end of it now. Like I said, I'm actually uh, off the road this weekend. Um, I have two more shows the next two weeks: uh, Akron Comic Con in Akron, Ohio, Grand Rapids Comic Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then I am actually going to be off the road from November until. February oh, for wow, Astronomicon. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be wrong. I love, I love the opportunity that I can do like twenty-five or thirty shows a year. Uh, it's amazing. But with just the sheer bulk of work I have coming out in two thousand nineteen, um, it's going to do me very well just to be off the road for a couple, for you know, two months or whatever, and just, just. Right, 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 right. You know, um, I'm trying to resist the urge not to do like a Black Friday signing somewhere, a small business Saturday. Uh, I like to do that to support my friends, you know, uh, that old run comic shop. So I'm trying really hard to like focus, stay home. I, I, I have so much writing to get done that being off the road is going to be pretty, pretty crucial. And I think it's going to pay dividends once all these announcements start popping in 2019. So I was actually interested to ask, uh, do you find it hard to like keep up with writing while you're on the road? I guess you can't, right? Because you do it so much, but like, was it a challenge to find the rhythm to be able to put that time aside when you are doing so much traveling and, you know, maybe not getting the best night's sleep because you're out all night eating ice cream with your buddies? And karaoke, right, and everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. You have your karaoke alter ego. Yeah, 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 yeah. When 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 Dick Man- when I, when I Dick Manley summons himself and uh, begins karaokeing <laughs> with, uh, with Dan Doherty's alter ego, Johnny Unicorn, um, I... Um, I usually will not write on a convention weekend. And, and no, that's not true. I never write on a convention weekend. Um, it's just it's just impossible. You know, usually a couple of us are all uh, staying together somewhere. And, and like you said, I mean, even karaoke and ice cream aside, you know, uh, when your conventions, oftentimes I'm working all day at the show, then the evenings might involve, you know, hosting an after party, you know, maybe doing some business meetings. Uh Cthulhu forbid, like, hang out with my friends who I only see on the road a little bit, you know. Um, but you figure if a show gets done at 7, usually the artists, we don't get out of there till about 7.30 or so. Uh, we've usually been there since 9, so we go get food, uh, which is, you know, of it's nice to eat something warm, you know, that's not like a power bar or a bag of nuts or something. So, you know, that puts you easily till 9 o'clock minimum. Then you go, maybe you got a business meeting or something, you didn't do it over dinner, you hang out with your friends, you go to karaoke. Next thing you know, you go, you collapse, and you start again. So uh, you just schedule that into your your weekdays about knowing, like, okay, these are the evenings I'm going to be home and write. But, yeah, like, I'm looking ahead to, like, next March already, and I'm doing at least four shows in four consecutive weeks to promote the uh, the Kickstarter that Kalen Smith and I will be running for Hope. And I already know, like, chances and, – and big shows. You know, I'm doing uh, Fantastic on Toledo. Then I'm, I'm, we're going coast to coast because both both Kalen and I are doing the same four shows. We're doing Fantastic on Toledo, Emerald City in Seattle, C2 to in Chicago, and Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. So maybe not coast to coast, but we're, we're covering a good amount of, of ground. I know March is going to be very hard to get any writing done, period. So I'm kind of compensating for that now. So you spoke about some of the big projects that you have coming up. 
Uh, and you mentioned Kalen Smith. I think this is a perfect opportunity to bring up uh, the newest announcement, which is the Legend of the Shaders comic book. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's going to be going on to Kickstarter on November 1st. And uh, as far as I'm aware, we've got all we've got so far is this very, very cool preview image um, where you've got Camille and Kennerly, the Harp Twins, uh, on it. And there's a some sort of a dragon behind them. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Now, you've been a fan of theirs for a while. I think as long as I've uh, been a fan of yours and been a part of your um, friends of Dirk Manning group on Facebook, I've seen, you know, posts of theirs and things like that. So how did this collaboration come about for this book? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, As you mentioned, I've actually been uh, fans of uh, the Harp Twins of Camille and Kennerly for, for quite a while. I really enjoy unique cover songs, uh, especially kind of in the genre of, of heavy metal, which is like my, I think my, my genre of preference. And uh, I just kind of stumbled upon the, the Harp Twins one day. Uh, like a lot of people, I would use YouTube to discover new music and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't have a Spotify or, you know, I mute, like people talk about like getting music on their phone. It's just a very odd concept to a Luddite such as myself. It's like I use my phone to call people. You know, but <laughs> uh, And I actually do call people, but which annoys a lot of people but anyway <laughs> it's hard to be an old soul pals it's a whole hard to be an old soul but anyway yes yeah, so i was a fan of their work for a while and uh, as it turns out i was doing a uh, a smaller show in the midwest and um turn out the show wasn't great i'd never done the show before and i i decided i wanted to kind of you know uh do the show and I, I i went to go do the show it wasn't quite what i expected it to be which happens sometimes that that you know that happens and as it turns out i was shocked to find out that uh the harp twins camille and kennerly were there and i was like whoa you know wow right right on you know i can i can not that i can you know make something out of this but it'd be an opportunity to you know actually go meet them that'd be pretty cool and so um Basically, I just went over and, and, you know, introduced myself, told them I was big fans and stuff like that, talked to them for a minute and found out they were actually performing uh, at the at the show as well. And I normally never leave my table to show. You know, I, I just don't. And I'm specifically not naming the show, the convention we met at. Um, it's a show that's not in existence at this point. But I actually said, you know what? I'm going to leave my table for an hour and go watch them perform. And... If you've ever seen the Harp Twins on YouTube, their videos are very ethereal. They're very um, staged and stuff like that. So I was blown away to find out that when you see them in concert, it's almost like a stand-up comedy act. They're so funny. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I just really enjoyed the show and stuff and seeing them. And I told them, I was like, wow, that's not what I expected at all and stuff. And so we ended up talking a little bit more over the weekend. Um I uh, picked up some of the CDs and, and they ended up picking up some books and stuff like that. And, and that was that, you know, and cool. So then uh, a week or so later, I got a shout out from them on Instagram, I believe, where they actually said they read the books and really liked them. I'm like, oh, cool, man. So we ended up doing another show together. Uh, this time I think it was Grand Rapids Comic Con, um, which is, you know, a ton of people show up. It's a, it's a really fun show. 
And we talked at the show, and again, I, I actually had coverage from my table this time. I got to go see him in concert again, and and you know we'd become kind of pals at this point a little bit. So they took me in with them so I could hurt because like you know when you're working a show, I don't mean to sound like a diva, but I don't want to have to stand in line to get into the because like they're, they're, they they pack the room. So basically, they snuck me in with them <laughs> to go so I could hurry up, get in with them, go, and then just get out. And uh, before the show was uh, – when the show was over, and I'm unloading, and I'm just sweaty and disgusting and stuff like that. You know, I'm packing my books up. And they're like, yeah, you know, we, we've always thought about doing a comic book. And I said, are you just saying this or are you serious? They said, no, we, we've thought about doing a comic. I said, if you actually want to have that conversation, let's have that conversation. I said, I, I – at the time um, – I don't know if it was announced yet or not. I can't remember, but I it may have been announced. I told him I said, I'm doing a comic book with the Rat Band Twisted out of Detroit. And I said, here, take a copy of this. You can kind of see what's going on. And we started talking more from there. And uh, now uh, we're at Nordic November with Kickstarter launching for uh, The Legend of the Shaders comic, which is a one-shot. Uh, the story is by uh, Camille and Kennerly and myself, uh, scripted by me and fully is illustrated by the amazing Kaylin Smith. Yeah. So I, I'm super excited for this. Uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, meet and interview Kaylin Smith at New York Comic Con as well and became familiar with her art through hope, which I absolutely adored. And I think everyone should read because it's so different from everything out right now. And Different from Dirk Manning's traditional work, but also you can feel the Dirk in it. <laughs> <laughs> feel the Dirk. Come to the Dirk. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with Hope being a a book, uh, and I'm very careful how I say this, with Hope being a book about a superhero, and, and I say that because what it is not is a superhero book. It, it's not a superhero book. It's a book about a, a woman who is a superhero. Um. It, it 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 initially seems very jarring compared to the, my output to date and my preferred method of output, which is more horror stuff. But I tell people, I said, even in the first issue alone, I think by the time we get to the end of the first issue, Hope is, in a lot of ways, probably the scariest book on my table. Um, it just deals with some really big and heavy themes and stuff like that. And then you have Kaylin's art, though, which is beautiful and, and, and such a aesthetically pleasing style you know versus kind of the dark undercurrent that starts to creep up under the book so yeah and i think uh i think it fits really well and i i can't wait to see what she does with this one um what was your process uh in collaboration with the harp twins to come up with the story for this book yeah when they um kind of said you know we we actually want to do a comic and again i apologize that the story was kind of like boring that there wasn't like some cool thing like our cars broke down at the same time at the same place you know (laughs) no i mean it was just a matter of getting familiar with each other's work and uh going from there uh basically they 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 uh very similar thing to what i did with uh with twisted they told me the basic idea they had um and then we kind of worked together i put together a kind of an outline or a beat sheet of what I would want to do with the, the opening one shot. Um, they made some tweaks. We went back and forth on it and things like that. And then I actually wrote the full script from there. Um, again, not necessarily overly exciting, <laughs> you know, but, but what happened was, and I think what I'm, one of the things I'm really excited about with legend of the shaders is that I, I get to show a different side of the type of stuff I do, you know, um, I'm not the type of person that wants to live on past glories, 
But when you look at something like Nightmare World, for example, there's a lot of stories in that that are really funny. And I, I think that even even bits and some bits and tales of mystery here and there are, are 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 humorous, and not just as in like someone getting beat with a humorous bone, but actually, you know. <laughs> um, so with uh, with Legend of the Shaders, one of the things I really wanted to bring out was Camille and Kennerly's personality, which is their their band uh, name implies they're they're twins. Um, I I've had I had uh, uncles who are twins, and for me, it, it was always interesting growing up because people would go up to one of them and start addressing them as the wrong person. And to me, it's like they're night and day. How can you how can you not tell which one is which? With Camille and Kennerly, it took a while. <laughs> it took a, if I don't see them for a while, I have to really hone in. And and Kaylin and I had little um have little secrets which i'm not going to reveal about how you can tell uh which one is which because they are i mean they are identical i mean they are the same person twice not that they're not that i'm taking away one of their agency or individuality over the other but they'll tell you i mean they're the they they are lockstep identical twins um so but one of the things i wanted to do though was also really demonstrate the different personality that they, they both have, even though they are again, and they're, they're twins, you know, but uh, which is also interesting because this makes it three books. I'm writing. They have twins in them, but <laughs> I kind of realized that the other day. I'm like, wow. Uh, okay. You uh, know, they say that twins run in families. I guess they also run in writing careers. So. Uh, apparently so. Right. I, I I'm going to be, instead of being the horror guy, I'm going to be known as the guy that writes about twins, you know, cause uh, in Han and Hyans, there's a, there's a, a twin aspect in that. And then in Cosa Nostra with Dan Doherty, there it's about twins and then obviously right. the Hulk twins. So I was like, I realized like, wow. Okay. But um, I wanted to show Camille and Kennerly's different personalities. And part of that was just kind of getting to know them and hanging out with them and talking on the phone. And, you know, if we were going to the same shows or something, hanging out or when they were, when we were touring, if like, Oh, you know what? We're both going to be like at this, you know, near this, let's meet and let's get together and have Denny's or something. Um, they actually posted several months ago a picture of us all at a Denny's on the road somewhere. And uh, my face was totally obscured so that no one knew who I was. But some astute readers were like, is that Dirk Manning's hair? Are the Harp Twins? They're like deleting the comments. Like, people are figuring out it's you, you know. But but even just getting to sit down with them in just uh, social settings. And as we became friends, you know, you, you start to pick up the little nuances about the type of people they are. And then, uh, then what you do in the writing process is you have to you exaggerate that a little bit. Um, I don't want to give too much away about the story yet. Um, but I will say it is a, a very Nordic feel, as you mentioned, there's dragons involved and things like that, but it was fun to get to kind of, uh, exaggerate some of their personality traits a little bit and, and, and do some of that, that, that riffing humor with them. So, uh, it's fun. Yeah. That, that's really cool, and, and one of the awesome things about your career and what's kind of been happening for you over the last few years with this now, uh, Legend of the Shaders and Haunted High Arms, is you, you've kind of had the opportunity to work with people who you actually uh, like are a fan of. Right. Um, um, so that's that's really cool for you. It, it is, and it's interesting, and it's, it's such a weird thing because, you know, I started my 
my writing career, not in comic books, but as a entertainment journalist and mainly a music journalist. And I don't have many regrets in my career, but one I do have is that back in the day, I'm not, I'm not a very photogenic person. Obviously, you know, I, I cover my face and pictures and stuff like that, but I, I was kind of buddies with so many of these people, you know, your, your kid rocks, you know, your whatever, you know, the, a lot of bands now that, you know, Marilyn Manson, your corns and stuff like that. Not that we were friends, but we were pals. We were buddies enough that when, when they came to Detroit or whatever, you know, we, we would, I would see him and do an interview and catch up for a bit. And because of that, I never really did the thing where I took pictures with anybody, you know, because it's like, oh, you know, Corn's coming back into town. See Jonathan Davis. Manson's coming back into town. Go see Manson for a minute, you know, catch up. And as a result, I, I, I think that's kind of followed through now to my comic career. It's like, it's it's really cool. You know, I, I watched Twisted come up from House of Crazies back in the day when they're protégés of ICP, you know, and now to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, working with them and swapping emails with them and things like that, you know, or, or talking to Camille and Kennerly again. I, I think it helps not geek out a little bit. But then objectively, as you mentioned, when you sit back and look at it, like, I am writing a comic book with Twisted, these guys that I've... I've watched them, their career come up or Camille and Kennerly, who I've been fans of for a long time, or, you know, getting to work with Tony Valenzuela from black box TV, someone else who, you know, I was a fan of his films and got to write a film for him. Or even now, like I'm to a point in my career where a lot of the people I idolized are my peers in a way, you know, it's like, we're all in the industry. We're all making books and I'm not going to name names, but there's times that creators I really look up to and really like have come up to me and like asked me for advice or said, yeah, wow. or just said, it's so cool that you just do creator own stuff. And, and that's what you do. And you don't have to, you know, write corporately owned comics and things like that. And I'm sitting there like inside, you know, 15, 20, you know, 25 year old Dirk's like, ah, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, outside I'm like, yeah, man, it's cool. I'm just talking to a peer, you know, uh, uh, Josh Mallerman is a writer who, um, uh, amazing author who did a book called Bird Box, which uh, the trailer just came out. It's going to be a Netflix film with Sandra Bullock and John Malkovich. I think it's going to be the first Netflix movie to also debut in some theaters. Oh, wow. Huh. And, uh, you know, another Michigan guy. And um, again, more of those things where, like, I'm. I'm buddies with this guy who I really look up to and I love his stuff. Bird Box is one of the best novels I've read in the last five years. Um, easily, or possibly even 10. Um, but the fact that I can go hang out with, you know, him and Allison, and we all get together and have dinner a little bit here and there when time permits, when I'm off the road, you know, it's, it's cool, man. You know, it is, it's just, it's just cool. It's interesting. And, uh, it's weird to take a step back sometimes and think objectively, like you said, about all these people who I respect so much are now in my peer group or I'm working with them. And, you know, I take a second right now and, you know, no one can see it, but I'm kind of like smiling. It's like, wow, it is. It's pretty, it's pretty intense, man. It's, it's how I'm very fortunate to be in this position. So. Yeah. And, and, and it just keeps getting better and better for you. What are, what are some of the things that you, kind of want to do what what's what are some of the milestones that are left for you i really just kind of hyper focus on the things that 
that I really want to get done. You know, uh, I, I'm very excited to get Mystery Volume 4 out the door. Um, you know, uh, clear my cachet, if you will, before the year's over of the, the Kickstarter projects. Uh, the Nightmare World Omnibus, the Nightmare World Bible was a big milestone for me to get that out. I hated it. It took so long to get out, but I know when people got it, then they understood and they were happy with it. I think Tales Mystery Volume 4 is going to have the same effect. So for me, I really want to get that out the door, start 2019 fresh, and really be able to make sure these Kickstarters happen in what I would consider a more timely fashion. People are always real good about it because I update people, you know, everyone, but still. Um, so for me, I guess my next big milestone is not going to be so much of who I work with, but rather hopefully achieving a very strong um, reaction to this next wave of books I'm doing, um, which would be Hope, Cosa Nostra, The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr., Dastardly Dirk, uh, Twisted Haunted Highons, uh, The Darkness Rises, Bludgeon of the Shaders, um, you know, the relaunch of the, the mystery Surviving the Nightmare World game. Um, I think that's something that once they give it the proper launch, it's really going to hopefully blow up and really give us that crossover appeal into the gaming, the gaming world a lot more. Uh, and then I think the thing that I'm most deviously excited about and my big milestone thing is going to be right or wrong too. You know, um, I've got a lot of miles under my feet since right or wrong volume one and right or wrong volume one was about how do you make the book? And in a perfect world, maybe I'd like to even do a new edition of Right or Wrong Volume 1 alongside Right or Wrong Volume 2. It's kind of like a second edition. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, Right or Wrong Volume 2 is going to be... Oh, I don't know if I want to say this. <laughs> you, you so do. I do, desperately. Uh, I'll just use a wrestling analogy and I'll leave it at this. Please. CM Punk had a very defining moment in his career. And I'm not going to say what that moment was, but anybody that follows CM Punk knows like there's a moment when everything changed. That right or wrong too is going to be that moment for me. Uh, and hopefully it's going to really change the game for a lot of uh, creators, especially people that want to do creator-owned work. Um, brace for impact. You the, know. the game. So you're wrestling Triple H. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> Kevin Nash. I'm actually gonna wrestle Kevin Nash. Oh, okay. He um, might tear his quad. Be careful. With that. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I, I. I. Wrestling fans will know the CM Punk, but but that. But when right or wrong two drops. Uh, I. I never do things to elicit. I don't really have a pathological need for attention on a personal level. I really want it to, I mean, even my avatar doesn't show my face. You know, I don't show I want it to be about the work. I want it to be about Tales of Mystery. I want it to be about Hope. I want it to be about Cosa Nostra, Cthulhu Jr. With Right or Wrong 2, I, I just hope the book impacts people and changes the game the way I'm hoping it will. Not the Triple H game, but. Uh, it, it's 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 i'll quit dancing around it it, it might i think it's going to be a pipe bomb so we'll, we'll and i don't mean to use that term especially with what's been going on in our uh, cultural political climate right now 
but um, we're gonna we're gonna have I'm gonna have some serious talks with people about okay now that you have a book what should you be doing and um, let's 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 take a look at things let's take a look at the way things are and maybe the way things should be and the way things can be um, I'm excited it's gonna be my 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 no holds barred moment of a guy that doesn't write a lot of corporately owned comics and uh, believes in creator rights. And I've seen a lot of good and I've seen a lot of bad. And I have one rule when I write right or wrong. The number one most important rule is be honest. You know, I also have a rule that's be nice, but <laughs> you can be honest and be nice. But some people may not think I'm being very nice, but we'll see. So, like CM Punk, are you saying you're the best in the world? No, <laughs> that's very that's very subjective. Uh, there are people that think I'm one of the best horror comic writers out there. There's people that think I'm one of the best comic writers out there. There's people that probably think I'm a hack. I mean, whatever. Um, I just have to let my work speak for itself. I'm producing the best work I can produce. I think 2019, um, you know, uh, is going to continue to redefine and up my game. I'm super excited about hope. A lot of people are saying it's the best thing I've ever written, which is cool. I hope they feel that way when they read Tales Mystery Volume 4, that it's the best thing they've ever written. I hope every new thing is the best thing I've ever written. Um, I just received in the mail yesterday um, the Ursa Minor 2018 special, which are three stories I wrote for Big Dog Inc. years ago, and uh, that I've just now seen print. And what we did is before the book went to print, I went through and uh, edited all the dialogue and did dialogue at its, you know, a final pass and everything. I'm really, really happy with it. Some people are going to think this is one of the best things I've ever done. We'll see. So, no, to call yourself best in the world is not my style. That would be for a cult of personality to do. It, it, it would. It, it, it would be very cult of personality. Yes, yes, yes. I like it. Uh, so, I mean, you obviously are, are a very humble person, um, but I'm a huge fan of yours. So I can speak to the incredible quality of the books that you – not that the, the earlier books aren't quality, but as you said, you know, you get better and better. Um, and the last batch, just not only have they been great um, – through the dialogue but the ideas you know they're very different and, and that's that's a part of the fun um one of the things that that is interesting about following uh the career of a creator is just sort of as it progresses how do they evolve right and when you work in corporate comics there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i'm a huge fan of those books but um it's it's harder to track the growth because you're writing Batman again or you're writing Spider-Man now. And that's awesome, but it's it's the same world. Uh, whereas for you, you get to kind of, you know, you can do uh, an all-ages book and then right next to that on your table is a is a mafia supernatural book, right? Um, and that's and that's fun. Uh, does that does that keep it fresh for you? Is that a part of how you get to uh, stretch yourself and and see that kind of uh, growth in your skills? You know, it's funny. Um, 
when we look at books like Cosa Nostra, which is a supernatural mafia book, or we look at Hope, which is the uh, the book about a superhero, um, these are books I've wanted to write for a really long time. Uh, Cthulhu Jr. and Dastardly Dirk is probably the newest of the three concepts. I mean, it's something I've I've talked about doing in, in one way or another for for a long time, you know, but, but, but that one really came together with Scoot and I, but, um, I'm just trying to take a little peek here at something. I want to see when I first wrote the first pitch to hope and it was, <laughs> it was <laughs> 2008. Wow. So it was, I know that's what I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty intense. Uh, (laughs) So though, I guess, I guess that makes sense because when Sean and I sat in on the, uh, the lecture that you did it, I think it was, was a world Philadelphia, maybe like two years ago. It was like the right or wrong panel that you did. You said like, don't start with your superhero book. You got, you got to wait for the superhero book. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Huh. (laughs) <laughs> wow it's actually pretty darn close so um yeah so i mean it is i mean these are just stories i wanted to tell you know but it just so happened that the, tra- the trajectory of my career and with the artist i worked with and things like that and really scratching and clawing my way up nightmare world tales of mystery love stories to die for those were the they took up a lot of time and they took a lot of energy. And, you know, even when I was with image and then before moving over to devil's do, um, I was still the writer, the editor, the project manager, and, and they just took an exorbitant amount of time to do all this stuff. But I have wanted to do these other stories, but, you know, as, as mentioned a moment ago, you know, as Peter was mentioning, it's one of those things where I always said, if you have a super book, superhero book in you, you got to wait a while to do that, man. You got to establish yourself another way. Otherwise, you're one you're one more person putting out a superhero book amongst a million other superhero books. And, and there's some superhero books I really like. I love Invincible, but Invincible didn't really get that second yes. wind. Yeah, until Walking Dead took off. Uh, in my spinner rack in my office, I have a graphic novel spinner rack, and and one of them is a book called A God Somewhere. And uh, amazing superhero book. A lot of people haven't heard of it. John uh, Accardi, I think I was, wrote it, who did a lot of the BPRD stuff. Uh, it's great, but just, you know, again, it, it becomes a superhero book amongst a million other superhero books or books about superheroes. So when I look at stuff like Hope, for example, um, which, again, you know, we're launching the Kickstarter for that in March, and there's also some other very, very big, big, big plans in place with this book big big things in motion big things popping <laughs> that's what we like to hear yeah i i can't get into it yet but it's again it, it you know it was playing in the beginning but the mood all changed you know <laughs> um one more rap reference there you go right that's right uh <laughs> chewed up and spit out i don't know if i've been booed off stage, booed off stage. I, I, I might get there we'll see we'll see <laughs> but um it's one of those things where it's so, you know, people come to my table 
And they're used to getting the horror stuff. They like mystery. They like Nightmare World, love stories, all this stuff. And then they're like, wait, what's this? You're doing a superhero book? It, it gives me that in, you know, now people are are intrigued. Now they're interested, you know. And as I said earlier, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways it's still a horror book, but it is not a horror book in any traditional sense. And, and, and I guess I can't say that. It's not a horror book. Hope is not a horror book. I mean, it's a book about a superhero, but like you said, I kind of bring the Dirk, I think is how you put it. There's there's some very Dirk aspects, but yeah. there's also some very Kaylin aspects in it. When you read her work like Plume and stuff and the strong character development and uh you know, it's about being a it's about being a parent, it's about being a mom, you know, and uh how we view mothers in society and how we view women in society, which I think anybody that's paying attention could and takes a step back could tell you right now how we're viewing and treating women in society right now is pretty horrible. It's pretty horrifying. And yep. I'm not and I'm not going to get political about this because, you know, I mean but but it's pretty horrifying. And I think hope is a book for the times and and again, I'll be we're all we're all pals, so I'll be I'll 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 peek behind the curtain a little bit. Uh my mom just read Cosa Nostra and Cthulhu Jr. and Hope. And uh, she's like, yeah, I, I liked all the books. They're different than everything you've done. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, when you raise a kid on horror movies and Black Sabbath, you're going to get a certain vibe for a while. I mean, you know, <laughs> sorry, Mom. <laughs> you know, but uh, in the Twilight Zone, like, go stay with Grandma. Sweet, I can watch Twilight Zone. <laughs> but um, but she even said the same thing. She goes, Hope is really a book for, for right now. And it is. Not that it wouldn't have been a good book in 2008, but it's a better book for now. And it's also a better book because I'm getting to work with Kaylin Smith on this book, who brings her own insight and her own perspectives. Uh, I auditioned more artists since 2008 for Hope than any other thing I've ever done. And it wow. always came down. I mean, yeah, I mean, and I've worked with a lot of, and, and what's funny is almost every artist I auditioned. I had worked with them on other stuff before and worked on other stuff with them since. But uh, I was talking to Josh Ross a while back, you know, in, in Philly. And he's like, yeah, I remember you talking about Hope back, you know, way back in the day. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But it was just a matter of finding the right person and not not rushing it through, you know. Um, we talked about writing corporate comics a minute ago. And, and that, that creates a certain sense of a churn and burn. You know, every month. I mean, if I was, if they hired me to write Batman tomorrow, I'd be doing Batman script, Batman script, Batman script, Batman script. And I'm not saying you can't do a high level of quality there. You look at guys like Tom King, who's just crushing it. And there's a lot of writers that write monthly comic books and do a phenomenal job. Um, uh, however... I don't ever want to be a position where I have to write it because I have to have another story out in four weeks, which is why I've always preferred the original graphic novel or trade paperback method, you know, um, Tales Mystery Volume 4, which, you know, the Kickstarter backers will be getting their books very soon here. Uh, it's basic, for all intents and purposes, it's 10 issues worth of content. So people waited a, a little over a year to get it, but you're getting a year's worth of story, but you're also getting it all at once. Um, that's the way I want that book to be delivered. And when we do Tales of Mystery Volume 5, boom, it's like, here it is. Whether it's 88 pages or it's 216 pages, that's the story. So 
everything in its time and everything in its place. And I think that's the the privilege that I've enjoyed doing creator-owned comics um, and working with some amazing artists, you know, as well, and illustrators, is we can find the right books for the right time. Now's the right time for hope. Now is the right time in my career with Dan Doherty and I to do Cosa Nostra. You know, people are discovering Dan's work. Um, they're familiar with my work. We, high tide raises all boats. You know, we can we can we can make this really cool story together. Uh, Cthulhu Jr. I have so many people that come to my table that with kids and they start flipping through Mystery or Nightmare World, and I'm like, I don't want to pay your therapy bills for the rest of your life. Don't read that yet. <laughs> yeah. And then there's parents like, he's been watching Friday the 13th since he was five. I'm like, let me tell you about Nightmare World. <laughs> but um, the, these, this new wave of books, and even with Twisted Haunted Highons and with Legend of the Shaders, these are the right books for the right time with the right people. So uh, that's probably a very long meandering answer to your – not probably. That was a very long meandering Wow. <laughs> I was, I was losing the ability to form words. Someone resummoned me quickly. <laughs> Wait, we need more ice cream. Stat. Yeah, yeah. And where's my ice cream? Where's my ice cream? Uh, a long rambling answer to your question, but it, it just comes down to the right books for the right time with the right people. And uh, again, I've been sitting on hope since 2008, um, but now's the time for it. It just feels right, and it, it is right, and it's going to be right. Yeah, uh, one of the things that struck me so much when I read it was just, I don't want to like spoil anything, but there's there are moments in it specifically where I went, oh, wow, yeah, like that's insight into how Dirk thinks about the world. That's insight into what's happening in 2018 and mm -hmm. where we're going and your sort of reaction to that. And it's always cool you know you reference tom king we on this podcast are huge fans of his as well a part right. of the reason for that is because when you read his work you you feel tom king in in the work and i think hope is a time where i felt you through the work i felt what you were trying to tell me and i think Good. that's so so important and and you know um I've always joked for years about like Nightmare World is my autobiography with monsters sprinkled in, uh, <laughs> which it is. Uh, Tales of Mystery is my soul, which it is. Hope is also a very personal book to me, and and I think um, there are certain things in the book that, in one way or another, through a writer's lens, were inspired by things that I've seen happen, or that I know have happened, or are happening. And I'm glad that it's having that visceral reaction. You know, I think back to the first comics I ever read, uh, the, the first big three comics I read, and one of them was The Crow by James O'Barr. And uh, one of the things that most struck me about that book uh, is, again, much like Watchmen, the story itself is not revolutionary. You know, Watchmen, because the three books I read were uh, The Crow, Watchmen, and Dark Knight Returns. Those were the first three big comics I read. And Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and The Crow, the stories aren't exceptionally different than things that have been done many different ways. But in the case of The Crow, it's such a visceral story. And you can tell, he I mean, he Obar bled on every page, man. And that was always something that struck with me is when you're reading a book or reading a comic or reading a short story or even watching something on tv you know you need to feel it 
and the ultimate goal is to make people feel it. So I'm really glad, and and I've heard this echoed by a lot of people that have read Hope that are just like, it just kicked me in the gut. You know, like, oh my God, you know, and that's that good. It, it should. And, and again, the fact that it really speaks to the time that we're in now more than ever is um, is something that I, I, I don't want to say I'm happy about. I'm not happy about the way things are going right now. I'm not happy about the way that, that women are treated in society and have been treated. Uh, but I'm glad that something that I'm doing and again, with Kaylin Smith on this as well, I'm glad that something that we are doing can really speak to speak truth to power, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I wanted to uh, double back a little bit because you, you, you mentioned right or wrong, too, and you, you talked quite a bit about it. And, Without uh, saying much of anything. <laughs> Speaks a lot and says nothing. <laughs> Dirk Manning 101. <laughs> uh, right or wrong is a like, so when people ask me, oh, do you have any books to learn about how to write or anything like that? I have a lot. Um, sure. I only tell people about one. I, I only tell people about right or wrong. And it's oh, absolutely no disrespect to the other books that I've read. It's just that right or wrong is from the perspective of someone who is in the, is, is currently grinding, right? And mm-hmm. doesn't work in a space where uh, I don't want to, I don't want this to sound the way that it might, but there, the security that, that comes with working for corporate books uh, isn't isn't there for you that that way? You have right. to be on the road. You have to forge great relationships with your fan base and cultivate that, which of course mm-hmm. all writers do to some extent. But for you, that's your lifeblood. Um, right. right. People will buy Batman no matter who's writing it. But mm-hmm. a Dirk Manning book, you know, it's got to have that 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 Dirk Manning name for people to come. Right. Um, and I got to develop that. Yeah, I got to hand sell it. <laughs> exactly. And so I want to hear what you have to say because of that. And um, that's why I'm so excited for right or wrong part two. And I think anyone who's read part one, I think everybody on this podcast has at least bought it. Um, so I, I really just, what, what more can we get from you? Like what, what, what is right or wrong to gonna, gonna tell me as a person who bought right or wrong number one, absorbed all the messages that are in it, and now is okay. I've got my book. I, I I wrote it. I found an artist. We've got a contract. We've got all that stuff that you taught us how to do. How do I how do I go the distance? Is that is that the crux of the book? Yeah, that, that is the crux of the book. Of like, what, how do you go the distance? What do you do now? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you nailed it. Honestly, it's just about how do you go the distance, you know? Uh, making the book, let me use a, a, a martial arts analogy. Um, I trained in martial arts for many years, taught martial arts. And I'll never forget when I got my black belt, which obviously anyone who gets the martial arts, you want to get your black belt. And, and, and my school, our philosophy and our motto was uh, earned, not given. I did not test every time. There are plenty of times when I was not ready to test for my next level as I was going up in rank. 
and that stings, but it's like, you know, you just, you're not there yet. You know, and having your instructor say, you know what, Dirk, you're not there yet. Just give it another three months, give it another six months. It's going to take some time, especially because I'm not made of licorice. You know, <laughs> I'm not one of these skinny, you know, skinny, flexible people that, you know, <laughs> you don't do all this stuff. Uh, no offense to skinny, flexible people out there, but uh, that just is not, not how I'm built. You know, I like ice cream. I like steak. You know, so um, I'm like a carnivore and ice cream diet, you know, meat and potatoes guy. But um, when I did test for my black belt and when I got my black belt um, and my grandmaster, you know, and stuff like that, you know, when, when you get your black belt, what I was told was something that really changed the my perspective and everything. Give you your black belt, they tie it on, shake your hand, and what was said was, now you can begin. And anybody that practices martial arts knows what I'm talking about here. A lot of people quit when they get their black belt. They go, they do a check, yay, I have a black belt, then they go on their merry way. Earning your short humble black belt means you have learned and you have mastered all the basics. Now you can start to apply it. Creating your book and doing all that groundwork means now you can begin. Now you can really start, which don't get me wrong. Making a book is a monster accomplishment, and it should be very, very, very celebrated. But was your goal just to go and make a book? And then go back to playing God of War and Red Dead Redemption and watching, you know, binge watching television all day, every day, whatever. Or do you want to, even if it's not your only career, make a career out of it and get your books out there and get them in the hands of people and market and work with publishers. They'll help you distribute your, your book and things like that. And let's talk about publishing practices. Let's talk about what it's like to work with editors. Let's talk about some of the really good things. Let's talk about some of the things you need to be aware of. Um, there are predatory publishers out there. There are predatory editors out there. There, are, you know, and there's some really good ones too. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about being on the road. Let's talk about how do you make this work if you have a day job and you have, you know, a husband or wife and 2.5 kids and a dog and things like that. I mean, let's let's have that discussion of what this is gonna take. And again, I'm not saying it's the only way, but I'm saying it's a way. And I will talk about my way and what I did. And if other people have other ways, I encourage them to somehow share their knowledge as well. Uh, Jim Zub is very good at doing this. Colin Bunn is very good at doing this. They share their experience and things like that. Their experiences are not my experiences. I'm a grinder, you know, for better or for worse, I am a Midwest born and raised blue collar, Born poor, grinder. Uh, I've never been one that's been good at kissing ass. I've never been one that's good at glad handling in a way to. I, I I've had editors like kind of like wanting me to ask to work with them, and well, show me something. Well, show me something. And I'm like, my books are right. Pardon my French. This is where I get fired up. It's like my books are right fucking here, man. You know what I do. I'm not going to beg to work for you. You know what I do. You have read my work. If you think there's a way we can work together, let's do it. That's not necessarily the mindset of all editors. That's not necessarily the mindset. When you really start to think about as an editor or a publisher, and I had a publisher tell me this, 
he said, and it was it was it was brilliant and horrifying. He said, "My job is to tell ninety percent of the people that ask me for something no." Wow, wow, <laughs> that's yeah, rough. <laughs> it, it is. But then also, I would argue, not having been a publisher in a traditional sense of the word, although I've been a self-publisher, think about what that does to you. Every day, all day, people are asking you for things. And not only that, yeah, and your and your ahead. job is to to tell someone that their dream is like, well, too bad, you know. Yeah, it's like that takes it out of you, I bet. Yeah, and then not only that, but let's take it one step farther. Think about the fact of what that does to you, that the power dynamic of you have with everyone around you, and then think about how that affects you. You know, it's like that rock and roll thing. You know, how many people do we know that again? And I, I have a lot of experience with this, having worked with bands for a long time. The groupie mentality. The groupie mentality, I mean, there are people out there that just had sex with all kinds of guys, girls, or whatever, because they just want to have a lot of sex. But there's also the idea of people constantly throwing themselves at you. What would that really do to you? Now imagine you're one of those people approaching one of those people, and now you're throwing yourselves at them. Let's talk about that dynamic. Let's talk about what that looks like. And let's look at some of the things that can happen. I'm really excited for this book to come out. I'm really excited to write the book and, and get it out there. And I'm going to need a strong editor, and I'm going to need a strong lawyer on this book. And I, I'm aware of both. <laughs> but, but, Pipe okay. bomb! <laughs> Somehow, I, I've spoken to you so many times, I've never asked you this question, and I've never thought about it because it seemed obvious at the time but the way you talk about this and how passionate you get why why is it so important to you to do this why is it so important to you to share this these experiences what is it what is it why is it that what you have to say is so important to you and helping people get, break into this industry is so important to you that you're willing to do something that's going to require you to get a lawyer and a strong editor and, and express <laughs> things that you know why? You know, it's funny when you said, you know, so important for you to be the one to say it. I winced. I don't really want it to be about me. I'm really I, not trying. Yeah. I'm not. I, I, and, and, you know, here's the thing. We're all pals. There's the Dirk Manning persona. And I feed into that persona just as much as anybody, obviously. Um you know, eating ice cream all the time and all this stuff. And I do, but I, I, again, it's to me, it's wrestling. It's like Stone Cold Steve Austin likes beer. Does he walk around and drink beer all the time? No, but when he was on Raw or on a pay-per-view, they're throwing 10 or 20 beers at him and he's drinking them all. And, you know, and um, but in real life, I, I don't want it to be about me. But what I do want is... I want to help, you know, uh, that's it. I want to help, you know, and it always comes back to this one line for me, the, 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 my knee jerk reaction, my knee jerk thing I was going to say was incredibly simple. If not me, who, if not now, when, you know, um, I'm a pay it forward person. Uh, I'm not a saint. I'm not a perfect person on any conceivable level whatsoever. 
And again, my experiences are my own. There's going to be people that read right or wrong volume two and probably be pretty pissed off and probably really disagree and really say that I'm not representing things the right way. Well, you know what? I'm representing them my way. And if you don't like it, go write your own damn book. And you know what? Leave me a bad review on Amazon. Whatever you got to do, bro, or <laughs> sis, you know. But this is it, man. You know, um, I think of the live was that Loki had in, uh, what is it, the Avengers? Burdened with glorious purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, oh yes, does God. make me the supervillain. And I, and, I, and I understand that. And, and, and I assure you, there, there, I'm sure there's people out there who I'm the supervillain in their story, which is never my intent. But I want to help. And I have things to say. And I've grinded my way up, man. Uh, any any modicum of success I've had, which again, it's even hard to rate. It's like I'm sitting here in my office, and I'm turning around, and, and legitimately, as I say these words, I'm looking at an old timey spinny ra- spinner rack. It says comics at the top. Read one today. It's got Richie Rich, Spider Man, Archie, and Superman all on the display, which is how you know how old it is because it has like all four of those characters on there on one. You know, they'd be suing the hell of each other right now. And my my goal. <laughs> My goal is to fill, legitimately fill that spinner rack with all my own work. Um, and then ideally even fill it all with creator-owned work, maybe. Who knows? But at least to have a spinner rack full of stuff that I did would be incredible. But as cool as that would be, I also want to make that possible for other people, you know? I get it, man. I, 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 again, I'm sitting at my desk talking to you guys right now, and I'm opening up a drawer right now, and I'm rifling through this little drawer I have, and I'm holding in my hand. You hear that right there? Yeah. These are <laughs> yes. notes that I have from presentations that I went to. God, I, I should have dated these. I could probably look back and figure it out. Ten, oh God, no more than 10. I did hope 10 years ago, originally. 15 or so years ago, you know, that I remember being that guy thinking, I know I can write and I love this medium, but how do I do it? How do I get there? Which is why I did right or wrong. You know, I did right or wrong, uh, the original version right or wrong on Newsarama for free. No one was going to pay me to write that stuff. But they'd run it as free content. And they said, "Well, you get a pu- you get publicity out of it," which I did, and that's fine. And I, I did it for free, you know. Um, that's how I found you, right? That's how a lot of people found me, you know. And, and that's fine. And I did get the publicity out of it, and it did give me a huge bump. And I've sold a lot of right or wrong books, you know, thousands of books since then because of that column. But I, I just want to help, man. You know, I want to help other people be able to have this opportunity, and. There are some ways, arguably many ways, in which the system could be rigged against you. And there are people that will try to, I don't want to say stop you, because I think that makes people sound very villainous. But I I think there's a lot of ways that people can do this themselves and be the masters of their own destiny. Uh, You may not get rich. You may not make a million dollars. You may not make thousands of dollars. But I don't know, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's ways if you want to make your stories and make your books, there's more ways now than ever to do it. I've lived it. I, I, I'm doing it. I'm in a position right now. I'm not a slave to having to do a 
monthly book. Right now, I'd have to churn out 22, 44, 66 pages of, of comics a month if I don't want to. I can take some time to write a book like this and put it out and take a snapshot of where I am and say, hey, if I fall dead tomorrow, here's at least what I learned. Here's what I can tell you about as far as I got in my career. Here's what I can tell you and do what thou will, you know, but I, I just want to help. And if the books help some people make some other great comics, then um, that's pretty awesome, man. You know, that's that that's that's it. Who who was, if anyone, the Dirk Manning for you when you were trying to come up? Was there a person in particular or people who you feel um, influenced your ability to get into comics through a book like Right or Wrong or just through being cool to you when you met them or anything like that? I went to panels by guys like Mark Wade, uh, Joe Casada. Um, I don't think I've ever had any sustained conversations with either one of them to this day. Um, but actually, you know, I talked about Right or Wrong Volume 1. Brian Michael Bendis was a huge – see, I'm old. I still call him Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> um, Brian Bendis really helped get me started. And in Seattle uh, last year, to get to actually tell him that – uh, how much he helped me was was a really nice feeling. And the genuine joy he seemed to have knowing how much. And show him my table. And I said, I wrote all this stuff because of that help you gave me 15 years ago was, was pretty remarkable. And then went to get my right or wrong book and realized I'd sold out 10 minutes beforehand. <laughs> so that oh, was just... no. Yeah, that was, that, was a, that was a true Dirk Manning moment. I'm like, he came back to the table with me to get a book. And I'm like... Fuck! I just sold out. I forgot. I was so excited to see him walk by, you know. Um, but Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Bendis did a lot to help me out um, personally. Axel Alonso gave me some just amazing advice. Um, <laughs> being honest, even though this is going to be an inconvenient truth for some people right now, uh, Scott Alley uh, from Dark Horse gave me some really good advice early on and helped me out a lot. Um, sure. The things he's done since cannot take away from what he did then, you know. Uh, Warren Ellis, again, uh, his column coming alone on CBR back in the day was a huge influence on right or wrong, you know. Um, Scott McCloud's understanding comics too did a lot to help out. Um, those are probably the big ones, but personally, it would have been Bendis, it would have been Alonzo, and it would have been Alley uh, that did the most to help me directly. But even then, um, ultimately, it was like, go check this out. Go do this. And that's just a matter of doing the grind yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes all it takes is a person to sort of, you know, you're in a dark room and they say, hey, just go that way. And then you just kind of, <laughs> you just kind of walk that way and it works out um, because of the rest of your efforts. But without that person to say, hey, go that way, who knows how things turn out? And I, th I think for, for a lot of people – have picked up right or wrong um, or read the column back back when um, or have had conversations with you in person at conventions uh, and asked you these questions you've been that person to point them in the right direction or at least in the direction that worked for you yeah and it's an honor to do that you know um, the biggest heartbreaking moment the, 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 the greatest moments I have are when someone shows me a comic and said, I made this because of your help. How incredible is that, man? I mean, I still tear up a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to be scary. Thank you. You know, 
<laughs> but the most heartbreaking moment is when people say, I tried to come see you at the show, but you had too many people at your table. And I'm like, no, man, just just jump in line for a second. Let me know you're there. You know, I want to talk to you. I want to, you know, say hi, you know. So it it's it's a real uh, blessing. It's, it's a real honor to be able to uh, do that, to help people out. But it breaks my heart where sometimes be like, oh, yeah, you always had like two or three people deep at your table. Like, That's okay. Just hang out a second. You know, I, I want to give everybody a minute. But, you know, even 10 to 7, 10 to 8, there's only so many minutes and so many hours and so much time and people have a lot to do, but uh, that's why I try to do panels and stuff as well. And, and whenever I can to, to just to help people out and to take those time, those opportunities to, uh, to help. Cause yeah, you know, a five minute conversation with Brian Bendis launched my career. And if I can do that for someone else for a few minutes, man, and it's funny, people are like, aren't you afraid you're feeding the competition? It's like, no, there's no competition. I write my books. You write your books, they write their books. And if I'm writing books that other people could be writing, I'm probably not doing the good of the job as I could be. You know, so <laughs> I just want to read more great comics. And if I can help some other people out along the way and make great comics, that that's also equally phenomenal, if not even more phenomenal. Plus rising tides, right? Right. That's exactly right. You know, a high tide, you know, raises all boats. It's a very simple equation. Um you don't have to. You don't have to fuck people over to survive. You know, you making a book does not inhibit me from making a book. Now we're both both launching a Kickstarter at the same time. There's only so much money out there. I get it. So be it. We're just gonna have to figure it out. You know, we're gonna do what we gotta do. Um, it's funny when I've talked to. I don't think this is too private of a conversation. When I talked to Camille and Kennerly from the Harp Twins. And they've talked about how, you know, I, I I shared with them everything I could about how to launch Kickstarter, you know, and I've been pretty hands-on in helping them out. And they talked about, oh, we saw this other thing that was kind of like a thing that you did. And they said, doesn't that make you mad? And I'm like, no. And, I, and they've had, I think, to an extent that too. I think there's people that have tried to do things similar to what Camille and Kennerly have done, because there's some people out there that they've never seen a successful idea they don't like. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, I back in the day used to have people tell me like, "How did you do Nightmare World?" Because I want to do that, and I'm like, "Did you hear what you just said, man?" You know, step one, life of misery. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, but they were t- Camille and Kennerly. We were talking one time, and they said, "Yeah, doesn't that doesn't that get you mad when people like copy your idea and like do your thing?" And I told him, and this was my honest gut reaction, you know, my, my shoot reaction, if you will. I was like, no, if someone wants to copy what I do, they better bring the Ray game because I'm bringing mine. And it's going to take, it's going to take, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's going to take a lot to beat me in my own game. I promise. You. And if you do more power to you, uh, I've seen people beat me in my own game. I'm looking at you, Comixology, you know, uh, distributing comics online for free, monetizing it. You beat me in my own game. Well done. I, I'm proud. I'm proud of you, bro. You know, um, but that's fine. You know, uh, but yeah, if you want to, I'm not best in the world, but I'll tell you what, if you want to come at me and try to do exactly what I'm doing, I've had a lot more experience being me than you have. So get ready. <laughs> I'm not the best in the world, but I'm the best in the underworld. Mother. Yeah. Oh, there it is. You know what? <laughs> 
I, I apologize because I may make that a shirt, you know, best in the underworld or something like that. That may come up Go for it. and you have full right to say that came up and, and that you that you coined that on me uh because that's phenomenal. just tell people just do me a favor when you sell them the shirt just tell them to go listen to the show right 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 like a little asterisk you know you know uh, via the comic pals you know <laughs> he was born to be your hype man dude yeah that hey amen man thank you yeah peter just coming out with those knockout shots like bam you know and I don't like homage stuff. I don't really, I'm not a fan of homage covers and stuff like that. There is a shirt that I've been thinking about doing for a long time, which is an homage to something else, which I, I just don't like charging money, you know, swiping. But there's something I want to do because it'd be so funny. And I know I'd sell so many of them, but mainly it'd just be funny. But that might be the other second thing I would do. Yeah, like the CM Punk style, but best in the underworld. And I don't know. We'll see. Do you want to yeah. say hello to Cole Cabana? Do or it, Dirk. <laughs> Someone's got to talk to him since Phil's not, I guess. So. Right. Uh, wow. Um, this... <laughs> Sorry, that was disrespectful, and I apologize. No, I, no, no. I say that, and I'm looking at a signed picture of CM Punk right above my desk. So he was real cool when I met him. Real, real, real. Good he was. He was cool to me too. Uh, he he. He took the picture with me semi-reluctantly, but he didn't say no. I had his t-shirt on. I didn't know I was going to meet him. And uh, he took it. And I know he normally doesn't like to do that. So and yesterday was his 40th birthday. I appreciate birthday. that very much. Happy birthday. Happy um, birthday, um, <laughs> that, that sounds wrong. <laughs> sounds birthday, like a punk. dig. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say, like, I mean, he goes by CM Punk. I want to call yeah, him, you know, yeah, yeah. call people what they prefer to be called, you know. So, sure. happy birthday, CM Punk. <laughs> there we go. Uh, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, it's, it's always great to sort of get, because we do, you know, we do like a 15-minute interview at these conventions, but getting a long-form Getting to hear you speak on you know uh, subjects like this is fantastic, and um, I hope thank you, you for guys, the opportunity. Yeah, of course. I hope you guys listening are, are getting something from this, especially if you are someone who aspires to break in to the industry. If you want to write a comic, uh, I guarantee you that you don't need to look further than right or wrong to get your start. Available um, on Amazon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cheap plug, cheap plug. Yeah, you got to get those in. And and right or wrong to Kickstarter, we can expect ballpark when? I'm hoping February 2020. Okay. Which all is right. not well, nearly as far away as it sounds. No, not at all. Uh, that, that's, my, that's my goal. Uh, I have some outlines put together and stuff. And again, right now, I just need to hunker down. I need to finish writing the first story of Hope. I need to finish writing Cosa Nostra. I want to finish the next story on Twisted. I want to finish Cthulhu Jr., uh, the first arc of that. Uh, then, again, the way I've always worked is I'll front-loaded a bunch of material to get that stuff rolling out there. Uh, you know, more possibly more Legend of the Shaders. We'll see how the Kickstarter goes, and if Camille and Ken really still want to work with me. <laughs> no, uh, we'll get along. <laughs> but then, um, while all that work is being uh, released, um, along with, you know, Tales of Mystery Volume 5 as well, uh, that will be, while all that work is coming out, I'll be doing the back-end work of doing um, Right or Wrong Volume 2, and uh, just get my lawyer. Have my, my, I, I, keep my, I keep all my lawyers Yes, plural. 
lawyers oh on speed dial, and it's going to be like, <sighs> yeah, I hope these books sell well because they're not cheap, but <laughs> <laughs> it just pipe bomb. I'm ready. <laughs> My body is ready. I don't um, know if it. I don't know if it is. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> is. I don't know if mine is. We'll see. Um, so, no worries. We're on retainer too for you, just like your lawyers. I I, I appreciate that. Um, I I'm not out to bear anybody. That's all I'm gonna say. But I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be nice, but I'm gonna be honest. You know. So. so and, right and again, and it's gonna be. And my goal is to make a very positive book. Um, right. But there's going to be some things I say that I think are going to make readers uncomfortable. They're going to make other people uncomfortable as well. But, you know, no one's going to be more uncomfortable right, than me. <laughs> what else is done? I, I, I promise you that. So this is your shoot interview. This is your this is you shooting straight. Right or wrong, volume one, I, I shot straight. Yeah. The difference, now, the difference now is I've been in the industry for 10 years. And um, I think a lot of people are afraid to sometimes say things in fear of, repercussions that maybe they're in a situation where I'm not, where I, I don't have to be as afraid of some things. I, my life goal is not to write Batman or Spider-Man. If I never am given that opportunity. Okay. That's fine. I, okay, cool. You know, I mean, not saying I wouldn't write for uh, Marvel or DC if the opportunity didn't come up at all. I mean, that it, it could, it could be a really cool thing in the right terms. But I am not in a position where um, I just the, the mantra of right or wrong is be honest, and I just need to be honest. So it's time to be honest. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, so I I did want to ask you um, because normally we do we do uh, pals polls where we kind of talk about the books that we are reading, um, and I was curious. Are you are you reading anything right now? Do you have the time to sit down and read something, or even if you want to tell us about stuff you're watching, anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually reading right now uh, a really good book. My buddy Leno Grady colored a lot of this. Uh, the comic book story of professional wrestling. Um, mm, I saw I saw a lot of um, a lot of preview stuff. For that. Yeah, yeah. Aubrey St- uh, Citizen and Chris Marino, who Chris I've known forever, was the illustrator on this. He does a lot of animation work now for Disney and stuff, but man, he just nailed it. I'm a big wrestling mark. I love wrestling a lot. And um, I I thought I knew some things, you know, and then I'm reading this book and this book goes back to day one and even how all the promotion started and who did who to what. And I mean, I'm about a a third of the way through it right now. And, I'm just savoring it. I mean, it's just an incredible book. Um, it is not, it, it goes deep. I mean, it is literally the story of professional wrestling and how it became to be what it is right now. And I'm really, really enjoying that. Uh, horror comic fans out there, the newest Jinji Itu collection just came out, which was his adaptation of Frankenstein, as well as a bunch of other short stories. Yes. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, I'm a huge Jinji Itu fan. So good. And, and, and and the the Viz books that that the hardcovers that they're putting out, you know, they put out Gaio, they put out Uzumaki and stuff like that. They put out Tome. Um, oh God, what was the other one they just put out? It's right here in my room, and it's just out of sight from my headphones. But all the Jinji Itu uh, fragments of terror, fragments of horror, 
Fragments of Horror was, again, phenomenal. So I've been just kind of pacing myself through the new Jinji 2 book. His Frankenstein adaptation is fun. It's cool. I mean, it's a pretty much it's a fairly straight adaptation for the most part. Um, but it's, it's good. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I'm enjoying reading some of his early short stories that have also been put in to pad out that big, giant hardcover of that. Uh, Prose-wise, I'm reading Bloods Are Over, uh, the last Harlan Ellison book to come out. Um, he passed mm. away. He was an idol of mine. And again, I'm just kind of taking the time to savor that. And uh, when I kind of get off the road here, I'm very excited to read uh, a book called Small Victories, The True Story of Faith No More, which uh, I'm a huge Faith No More guy. I'm a huge Mike Patton fan. Uh I realized kind of bittersweet that I actually saw Chuck Mosley. It was his last performance, I believe, before he passed away. Um, and just love the band. Big, big patent mark. Big mark for Faith No More. So I'm looking forward to digging this book, which was a uh, biography, but authorized by the band. Um, and Billy Gold actually said, I learned stuff about the, the band that I didn't even know. having been <laughs> in it since its inception. So... Um, that's kind of where I'm at now. Television-wise, I'm such a bad horror fan. I've hardly even had a chance to watch much horror leading up to Halloween. Everyone's doing their 31 days of Halloween movies. I'm like, I wish I had time to watch TV. But uh, <laughs> I did just finish season two of Luke Cage, ironically enough. Really liked it. What a master class in character building. Um, I remain hopeful, perhaps uh, unre uh, unrealistically so, that they'll continue to do something in that universe. I haven't watched Iron Fist 2 yet, but I hear that's good, so I want to check that out. And then I'm uh, anxious to get into Daredevil Season 3. Uh, Daredevil's always been a real power hitter of a show. I like the first two seasons a lot. Uh, I know it's kind of at least loosely. No spoilers, please. But I've heard it's very at least loosely based on Born Again, which is a phenomenal story arc. So I'm looking forward to that. And... Yeah. Uh, Dirk, it is very good. Good, that's, that's what I'm here. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. It's it's very yeah. good. So that that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I mentioned Josh Malaman earlier, who wrote Bird Box. He's got uh, some new books out. I'm going to try to dig into those over my break. And uh, I think that's yeah. I think it's a good amount. And yeah, I I, I read more than I watch television. So um, and I write more than I. Uh, when I have when I'm when I'm off the road, especially I write more than I watch television as well if I can. So that's kind of where I'm at consumption wise. Do you have uh, interest in that House on Haunted Hill Netflix show that everyone's talking about? Netflix show that's that everyone's the other talking one about. I want to watch. Yeah, I uh, hear it is pretty yeah. great. Um, yeah. I when I uh, when I work out because I'm old, I get on elliptical. <laughs> but when I get on the elliptical and stuff like that. Uh, I have certain television series I can only watch when I'm on the elliptical, like my because that's like my motivation to go work out. Like, oh, if I want to go see the next episode, I got to work out. You know, um, I'm in the second season of BoJack Horseman right now. Yeah, awesome, dude! Wow, what Very a show! What, a, what show. a show! And I'm torn because I'm like, do I not finish the second season of BoJack and watch House on Haunted Hill instead? You know. Um, so we'll see. I think I'm going to try to finish up the second season of BoJack, and then I'll jump into House on Haunted Hill, and then probably jump back to BoJack again, because, again, that's a show that is just masterclass storytelling all the way around. Uh, 
I also think it's a show that's not great to binge. Like, it's good to do it in a few sittings instead of, like, trying to just knock it all Bojack? out. Bojack? Yeah, it, oh, it's I, good I, with I a could, little I could imagine room. binging that show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I, I, I would heavy. argue it's almost unbingeable. Yeah, it's like, I, 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 my friends, every time the new season comes out, a couple of them will just sit and watch it all in one sitting, and I'm just like, that sounds like an exercise in, like, masochism. Yeah. You know? I don't know how you could. There's times when, like, I've noticed, like, I have not gone and worked out when I should have because I know I'll put on BoJack Horseman and I need a few days off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, uh, so, yes, I'm enjoying that a lot as well. Um, just finished recently, uh, Joe Hill's Strange Weather. His new collection was really good. Um, so, yeah, that's that, there you go. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, my my pulls at the moment i suppose cool awesome um <clears throat> always always interesting to hear what uh what creators who are obviously extremely busy uh choose to spend their free time uh enjoying uh so one last thing before we let you go we have a, an email um and it's it's from matt murphy who is uh from the long box uh, podcast and he asked a question um, that I, I just want your perspective on. I'm interested in what you'll say. This um, is an email directed to me specifically? No, it's an email directed at us. Okay, um, okay. I, 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 <laughs> I, I was interested <laughs> I, I was interested in hearing your your perspective on uh, his question. Sure. Yep, I've got it. So yeah, this one came from Matt um, from I think it was like two weeks ago. Uh, so he uh, he wrote in and said, Hey pals, just taking my fifth dump of the day, fucking dairy. And started to think of a question for the show. Hey, well, hopefully he's getting some good comic reading done if he's taking that many dumps every day. Exactly, yeah. Or catching up on the backlog here. Uh, but so he, he asked, now that Walking Dead has celebrated its 15th year anniversary, has it surpassed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as the most successful franchise based on an independent comic series? I want to say no, because everyone and their mother has experienced TMNT in some form, but I'm curious what you guys think. Thanks, Matt. Wow, that's an interesting dump question. <laughs> I wish I thought about things that profound when I was defecating. Um, right? I, I thought it's a, it's a pretty good question. I really just want your perspective on him taking that many poops a day, frankly. I'm jealous, quite frankly, because of all the reading that you could get done. All the reading. I mean, unless he's a power dumper, unless he just goes and dumps and leaves. But, you know. That's his, that's his elliptical. Right, right, right. That's how he loses weight. I mean, that could be good. Yeah. I, I, taking five a day, he probably doesn't spend much time in there. I would guess. I mean, that's that's a lot of time, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I, I enjoy, you know, bathrooms are quiet. They're well lit. You know, you can just go in there and read for a while. You know, it's nice. It's a decompression chamber. It's like in the uh, what, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. You know, it's like his decompression. Chamber. Oh my god! <laughs> just go in there and get a book and ignore the world. Don't bring your don't bring uh just just me and a book and sit there and no technology, no nothing and. Enjoy. Eight, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure. I think for him it's eight hours of sleep, eight hours of pooping, and eight hours of leisure. God, eight hours of sleep. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, it must be nice. Well, let's also consider the horrific fact that this email came in at 12.50 p.m. So that this was his fifth he dump. He might have sent you this email while he was pooping. <laughs> well, oh, my God. Poor Matt. All right. So let's answer his question. And Dirk was never invited movement. on the Long Box podcast ever again. <laughs> That's their brand. Get out of here. They love it. Um. Well, maybe this will get me on the show then. Hey, Matt. 
Been a lot, <laughs> I, I too enjoy a good uh, you know bowel movement here and there. Maybe we can get on talk. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, that is really a fascinating question. Um, because as you said, everybody knows Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But at this point, you'd be hard-pressed not to find someone that doesn't know about The Walking Dead. Now, that mm-hmm. being said, there's obviously many, many people who never personally experienced the Turtles. But there's also many people that have never experienced The Walking Dead. So then I think you have to look at the ripple effect of the shows. The ripple effect of Mutant Turtles, you had uh, radio uh, adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters, for example, which was a... You know, uh, street sharks. What's that? <laughs> we also we also had the streets, the street the sharks. Street sharks, right? Uh, but you had a, a big ripple effect. I mean, aside from you know that little, I, I'm happy anytime I can make an adolescent radioactive black belt hamster joke, but um, which actually was a real comic. Look it up. Um, But the, the effect of TMNT was obviously much bigger than that anyway, just in terms of creator-owned books and, 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 and that. I don't know if Walking Dead had as much of a ripple effect in that regard. I think as much as Kirkman tooted that horn early. I mean, let's not forget the infamous green screen uh, debates he had yes. with Brian Michael Bendis, yes. which are very hard to find online uh, right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, have to go to the dark web maybe to find them, or maybe not. I don't know. What is that? I don't know what that is. A dark web? No. <laughs> I'm not having that conversation. Uh, <laughs> no, the green screen debates. Um, he Kirkman years ago did this kind of manifesto to creators, uh, and 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 Bendis took some umbrage to it, and they ended up having actual debate about it uh, at a panel, and um, Kirkman was very much as I do, beating the drum for creator-owned comics and things like that. And that's where the rarefied air comment came out. And Bendis pulled out a pie, a chart, if I'm not mistaken, and said, look, dude, Walking Dead didn't get big until you did Marvel Zombies. And he actually charted the scales of Walking Dead before he did Marvel and came back. And it was really interesting debates. Again, I don't know how publicly available they are online, but if someone has time to find them and wants to like send me a link or something i'd love to revisit that but yeah but kirkman did like this youtube style shoot interview about it about um creator on comics and very passionate and again him and bendis had some really good uh dialogue on that but i don't know if kirkman had despite that the the big of an influence on the creator own movement but then again by the time kirkman did it it was also already pretty well established i mean you have image comics at this point things like that <sighs> yeah i think when i think about it i i don't think that it's comparable yet but i think walking dead's also a lot younger than tmnt you know it, like it might be though i mean you look at the whole zombie resurgence. You look at the horror resurgence. I mean, yep. I also I would say that like the the kind of like boom that Image saw after like post twenty ten uh, was that was the big part of that as well. You know, was that got a lot of eyes on Image that were oh, new. Oh, you could argue that Walking Dead saved Image. You know, and I don't think. Well, that... I mean, right? Like they they made Kirkman a partner because of how successful it was. Right. 
Right. You know, uh, uh, the high tide raising all boats, a big part of that tide was and remains Walking Dead. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next year or so now with the television series changing so dramatically from the book. Um, I'm curious. But I guess to answer the question, was the question which one is bigger or is Walking Dead bigger? Is Walking Dead bigger? It's very possible, which I know is a very wishy-washy answer, but it's 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 that's possible. I, 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 if you make me put my chip down, I think it might be the turtles by a by a turtle's eyelash right now. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it's that close, but I think Walking Dead is literally uh, chomping at its at, at at its tail right now. It's not chomping at its neck. Um, mm, what a great question! But yeah, I, I I think if 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 Walking Dead is not more influential at this point, not had more of an impact, it's right there. But it, it and, and the thing is with the turtles, more or less. I mean, it's echoes of echoes at this point with turtles. You know, <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, Walking Dead's right. If, if Walking Dead hasn't hasn't equaled it, it's right behind it. But I would almost I almost would put them at equal at this point. I think that's there. Or no, I can't say that right behind it right behind turtles final answer but man again you're talking a turtle's eyelash behind uh, behind him i would i would agree with that because i think the turtles have more resonance with because they've been around for longer sure. and have multiple iterations for multiple generations but walking dead had cross-generational appeal from the time it came out and i think right. that definitely helped it my parents watch walking dead like oh my god this show is great i'm like yeah i told you it was you know yeah right you know uh but yeah given time i i i, I think that Walking Dead may surpass it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think I think that's the problem with the conversation because of the longevity of the turtles. They've had what five movies or something, uh, like six cartoon shows. That yeah. which is which is a side effect of being around for thirty years. Exactly. And I think like the fact that Walking Dead is even in the conversation with one adaption from one comic is it speaks volumes about how much it really did um, penetrate. I wonder though if uh, because. The turtles have been around longer, and because they are a property that can be revamped in and of themselves, versus something like a Walking Dead, where you can't necessarily bring back a character unless you go into like prequels or spin-off stories and things like that. After this sort of popularity, does how does it survive if it can kill off its main characters and it can do things where you can't come back from? Well, I think that. I think that the thing that's going to be interesting is do when they eventually reboot it because eventually the show will end and we'll have a few years away from it and then somebody will bring it back in some shape or form and then like the test will be does it have the longevity that the turtles had and I don't know if it does because I don't think the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will ever go away you know whereas Walking Dead this might be its time in the sun it might be a thing we think of as oh in the two thousands Walking Dead was such a big deal but it, it remains to be seen whether or not it's going to have the, the legs that the turtles do. Well, and, and the Walking Dead, too. I mean, the turtle, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is so rebootable and so reusable because it's a concept. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Walking Dead, for better or for worse, although I don't mean for better, is largely seen as such a phenom because of, again, perhaps not as much as, as Kirkman and Moore and uh, Aldred would, would prefer, but because of 
the Rick Grimes, because of the Carl, because of it's not just a zombie book. It's again a book about about people living in a zombie infested world, as opposed to drama. you can reboot the turtles a hundred different ways, and they have. Uh, I don't know. Can you do Walking Dead in space? Probably not. You know, uh, can you do, you know, so uh, yeah, it's interesting. We'll see. There's a little bit of an apple and oranges thing there to an extent. But despite that, the fact that Walking Dead has just steamrolled their way to be in that to be in that comparison with such a juggernaut of a franchise is is huge kudos. And I still love the Walking Dead comic. I still enjoy the show. Uh, I'm real curious to see where this is going to be going. I'm really excited. And I hope that I know there's all these talk about they lost half their viewers this season already from previously, but we'll see what happens. You know, I'm still invested. I'm still interested. Um, I still love the comic. Still my top of the pile read every month that comes out. Unless I want to savor it, then I put it at the bottom. But still, it's like the book I'm always... Whenever Walking <laughs> Dead comes out that week, I'm exceptionally excited to read it. So... Awesome. Uh, thank you for answering the question. I actually think that was a really interesting um, conversation just because of, you know, Walking Dead has really risen to that point where it's it's it, it makes sense to talk about this. And I don't even know if it makes sense five years ago to, to, to talk about this. Um, but uh, yeah, Dirk, uh, it's been incredible having you on. Uh, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Um, oh, thank um, you. I know we had to, for behind the scenes, we had to reschedule this from when we originally were going to chat. So I appreciate yeah. all of your flexibility and allowing me to reschedule and join you. I really appreciate that. Well, you're always really great to us. So uh, pay it forward, right? Hey, that's that's the name of the game, pay it forward. And, and, and Sean, I would be remiss and not the, the, the huckster I am. If I did not mention that the upcoming Tales of Mystery Volume Four has a Sean Bartley, the Comic Pals quote on the back. Oh, so for oh, it, thank you. Yes. Oh, you didn't know this. No. Oh. Oh wow. I was not. Oh. I was not told this. Oh, I thought you knew. Hey, Sean. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> You're quoted on the back of Tales of Mystery Volume Four. So. Um, I, I thank happen, you. Thank thank you. I um I happened to see this on Instagram. Uh, our mutual friend Chris Masari did yeah. share it, but I didn't tell anyone. Um, but it, it's it's very very meaningful to me, uh, and I, I just I'm blown away that you would uh, you know choose me to be you know. Oh, hey man, you guys have always been great. You've always been great. So get that humble pie out of here. I, I I'm the one that's appreciative of of you. Being willing to do that yeah you're on here chris is on here the optimism club drunk on comics so yeah thank you uh yeah thank you and so for all your readers out there see when uh tales of mystery volume 4 becomes commercially available uh, early 2019 uh get it for the sean bartley of the comic pals quote <laughs> on the back of the book it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a hefty tome man it's a hefty tome i'm excited for people to read it well i can't wait to get that in my hands i'm Almost positive I kickstarted it, so I can't wait to have that um, and to display that. Um, and and let's let's get the let's get the plugs out there. Let's talk about um, the rest of the books and where we can find you. Cool. Uh, DirkMang.com is my website. I am on. I still have a website. Uh, I'll be doing probably my January update coming up here soon. I usually update it in January and July, but it's always kept current with all my upcoming appearances, my bibli- bibliography, things like that, including. My connection to The Walking Dead is in the bibliography, as a matter of fact. 
Mm. Only fan letter I've ever written to a comic. I only wrote one, and only one was published. I'm 100%. Was in an issue of The Walking Dead. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So I wonder uh, if I've read you, that before. What's that? <laughs> I said, I, I wonder if I've read that before. Like, I usually read all the letters in the back of the issues. So. Uh, I was the first one to ever ask the question of Kirkman, which he now references back to my letter all the time, although not by name, obviously, of do zombies poop? <laughs> oh my god i do remember that <laughs> yeah it was the issue where uh well here you know it's funny I, I was just with a friend of mine and he had a i've only bought one of these in my life to date and i can't imagine i'll buy many more but i bought a slab cgc comic a 9.4 copy of walking dead 46 because it has my fan letter in there that's awesome. yeah uh my, my it's the issue where tyrese uh has some interesting character developments, shall we hmm. say? I believe I know which one you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, the red cover. <laughs> See, there's my slab comic. Oh right yeah, here. yep. It's like I kind of want to open mm-hmm. it. I do have a copy of of the original comic, obviously, but yeah, dude, that was uh, that was my uh, letter to The Walking Dead. My only time I've ever written to a comic book, and it was published. Uh, so you can learn do that and more. Was that? Do they poop? You're going to have to go back. You'll have to go read issue 46 it. of no, The Walking I'll, Dead to find out, Phil. It might be hard to find a copy of Walking Dead 46. So I will I will say that uh, he basically talked about how eventually they would eat so much their stomachs would explode or it would just leak out of them. So he kind of like was like talking himself through it as he replied. And he goes, yeah, ew, this is gross. So they don't <laughs> poop in the way that we normally would. We don't. They don't poop in the way that that Matt poops from Longbox. Right <laughs> no uh, one poops like Matt poops. No, but it, it's more. Eventually, their stomachs <laughs> would just explode out, or it just leaks out of them. So uh, yuck. But yeah, you can learn that and more at DirkManning.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all social media at Dirk Manning. Look for the guy at the top hat and the scarf. My last two appearances until February of 2019 are going to be at Akron Comic Con, uh, if that has not happened yet by the time this airs, and then at Grand Rapids Comic Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, fun fact I can now reveal, at Grand Rapids, I will be there. Kalen Smith will be there, and the Harp Twins will be there, Ooh. as we're in the Kickstarter. So that's going to be a real powerhouse show. People can get out to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Seth the Moose will be there as well. Dan Doherty will be there for a day. Uh, just a lot of our friends. Grand Rapids is just a fun show for the for the, the people up in the mitten to get up there. And after that, I will not have another uh, convention appearance until Astronomicon 2 in February, where the intent is to release the first issue of the new Haunted Hyons miniseries at Astronomicon. Awesome. Written by me with Twisted, illustrated by Mariana Pascosta and Alessandro de Forcini. And uh, yeah, we're going to go from there. Then March will be the Hope Springs Eternal Tour, in which Kaylin and I hopefully will not uh, attempt to kill each other. Four shows, four states, four weeks. Uh, Fantasticon Toledo, Emerald City Comic-Con in Seattle, C2E2 in Chicago, and Planet Comic-Con in Kansas City. Four amazing shows. Uh, and that's when we'll be launching the Kickstarter for Hope. And then uh, we'll be going from there with some other stuff. But uh, again, all that and more, DirkMang.com. Final plug, I have a monthly newsletter that I send out. I'll actually be working on it today when I'm done talking to all of you. You can sign up for my newsletter at DirkMang.com, get exclusive news, things like that. Once a month, I just uh, send an email with some news and some links and things going on and uh, spooky fun, spooky fun. But other than that, can stay in touch with your social media uh, 
preference, my Facebook group, the Friends of Dirk Manning Sport Group, with the R's in parentheses, so it's friends or fiends, because I'm witty and I want to make it hard to find. <laughs> I guess. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing everybody on the road soon. I appreciate the time that all of you took today. Sincerely, it's a pleasure to talk to all of you. And what con will I see all of you at next, for that matter? Do we know? We'll figure it out. Probably the next time you're in Philadelphia, I'd have to yeah. guess. Okay. We'll figure it out. We'll be in touch. Absolutely. And also, just real quick, don't forget the Kickstarter for Legend of the Shaders launches November 1st. November 1st, uh, Nordic November. Yes, yeah, so make sure to jump in on that. If you don't know um, the Harp Twins, you're going to want to search them on YouTube. They do some awesome yep. stuff. And if you don't know Kalen Smith's art, you absolutely should. Uh, Hope is fantastic, and this looks like it's going to be great, too. So head yeah. over there to Kickstarter for that. Check out our interview with Absolutely. Her. And Plume as well. Her, her series yes. Plume is always just phenomenal. So absolutely. Much love to Kaylin Smith. Much love to Dan Doherty. Much love to Seth the Moose. Much love to Scoop McMahon. Much love to Marianne Alessandro. All the artists that continue to tolerate me and work with me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Dirk, for coming on, and uh, we'll see you next time. That sounds good. I look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween, my fiend. All right. So uh, that was an incredible conversation with Dirk. Uh, certainly longer than our usual interviews, but uh, he's just a fascinating person. And uh, I could listen to that man speak forever. And almost did. Um, let's, let's, let's jump into um, the, the pals polls. Let's get through those real quick. Uh, Phil, you chose the American Vampire Omnibus. Listen, I've only read a couple issues of this, and it, it was pretty good. And everyone says this is the absolute peak of Scott Snyder's bibliography. Like, this is the best thing he ever wrote. Uh, I remember that people were really high on this seven years ago. Uh, I'm an omnibus collector intrinsically, and I think I, I, I'm a fan enough of his writing that I would absolutely buy this. So uh, it's now officially on the pile of omnibuys to buy for me. Awesome. Yeah, American Vampire is really good. I've only read a bit of it myself, but what I have read is brilliant. Um, so from Marco, we've got Hexwives number one. Yeah, Hexwives is uh, the Vertigo book. That's part of that new sort of wave that's coming out. Uh, and so that is by... Uh, Ben Blacker and Mirka and Dolfo. So I know this is one that Kale was definitely excited for. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's definitely on my radar and along with a bunch of the other stuff that Vertigo's been putting out recently. Okay. Um, and you also chose Transdimensional number one. What's that? Yeah. So Transdimensional is actually a Kickstarter comic and it is now getting re it's now getting published through T Pub. Um and so it's just uh, a series that I had sort of been following back when it was a Kickstarter. Uh, I, I didn't back it at the time, but it's coming out now, so I want to jump into it. Awesome. Uh, do you know the creative team behind that? It is by Michael Gordon. Not someone I'm familiar with, but cool. Awesome. Um, and then Pete and I both chose Heroes in Crisis number two. Pete, speak on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think reaction to heroes in crisis number one was pretty mixed but i definitely fell more on the side of enjoying it um i've been interested in kind of the pitch since you know we learned about it for the first time and uh, obviously i'm a fan of tom king's writing as we already discussed on this episode but i think particularly this issue is something that i feel like he's uniquely poised to tackle 
and not being a major DC fan, I don't have the baggage that a lot of people do with it, where, you know, uh, we talked last week about, um, you know, him killing off Wally West after he had just been brought back and all these other things that you and a lot of other DC fans have expressed problems with. None of those things matter to me because I'm reading this book kind of in a vacuum. So as of right now, I don't have any problems with it, and I'm very interested in issue two. Cool. Yeah. Um, I obviously had quite a few problems with it, but as a whole, I think uh, it's, it's interesting enough to certainly continue to keep me invested. So I, I can't wait for that to drop and for us to talk about it next week. All right, so we're going to jump into the news. Um, Wonder Woman 1984 was delayed until summer 2020. It's going to come out in June. Uh, I know a lot of people have been waiting for this sequel to what was a huge success. Since 1984. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that was a long time ago. Um, a lot of people waiting for this <laughs> for this sequel. And uh, now you got to wait a little longer. Um, the the narrative around this has been really interesting. Um, and uh, so Jeff Goldstein, who is the president of domestic distribution over at Warner Brothers, said, We had tremendous success releasing the first Wonder Woman film during the summer. So when we saw an opportunity to take advantage of the changing competitive landscape, we did. This move lands the film exactly where it belongs. Um, so it was originally supposed to come out in 2019, as we obviously said before, I'm wondering if this is really because they wanted to put it out in the summer or if it's because they needed more time. It might be a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see that being a really easy decision to make if the film is, far along and it's looking good but it's like mm, we could definitely use a little bit more time and it's like all right well let's put it out in the summer because we believe in it and it's going to be a blockbuster you know like the first wonder woman was a huge success and you have to imagine that the sequel is going to be uh, similarly successful so i think it, it seems like an easy move if the film needed even a little bit of extra time the other interesting wrinkle is that uh, next year, we know that Shazam is coming out, and the Joker film is also scheduled to release in 2019. So I'm wondering if they just moved Wonder Woman because uh, 2019 was kind of crowded for them as it is. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense, too. And and frankly, this is their probably their most marketable success that they can hope for. Uh, so th- they give a summer where it's basically just Wonder Woman, uh, 1984. Uh, that makes a little sense to me. And um, you listen, most studios outside of the uh, Marvel Studios put the the films that they have the most confidence in in the summer because they see that as that's when people are going to go see movies. Um, so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, just interesting. I was looking forward to getting this next year. But uh, certainly, certainly can understand why they might want to jump out of that time slot and move into something uh, where they stand to make me make some more money. And if you're Warner Brothers, that's what you're thinking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and it could also just be a move for them to want to hurt the competition more. Because Wonder Woman is a movie that I think is going to be, it's a movie that people care about now. 
You know, that that sequel is, is, is I think, going to be a big, a big flick. And if, you know, they go out against one of Marvel's bigger movies, it's also a chance for them to possibly take away some of their sales. If it's a, if it's a strategically placed date alongside something that isn't an Infinity War that's more of like an Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think Wonder Woman might beat that movie out, which looks great for them. Well, based on what we know so far about 2020, um, DC kind of owns it because uh, Birds of Prey is coming out in February. And uh, obviously we know Wonder Woman is coming out in June. Um, otherwise, Gambit is slated for 2020 release. That's we'll never say. going to come out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, May 1st, 2020 is a Marvel movie. Um, but it, that was probably going to be Guardians. Right. And <sighs> now, obviously, that's not happening. There are rumors that it could be Black Widow that takes that spot or Eternals, yeah. Um so we'll see. Um but even then again that's that's in May. Uh and then you've got Wonder Woman in June and then an untitled Marvel Fox film for June probably would have ended up being in my mind um Dark Phoenix part 2 because there was that that talk about that um or maybe X-Force, but those things aren't happening now. So, yeah. or at least I don't think they're happening now. There's uh, a slim margin that X Force could happen, but we'll see. Yeah. So I think that's just that's just DC's DC just kind of owns the summer right now. <laughs> they're probably salivating like, oh god, finally. Yeah. So I mean, that's the thing, man. If if this is the first string of good movies too, like if they do have three hits, like that that could be huge for them. Sure. Yep. I. I yeah, I'm I'm very interested um, in in how that plays out. Could so, be good. Hey, listen to that. Venom <laughs> changed my dude. <laughs> so I was slap? always positive about Venom. I don't appreciate this revisionist history where you're trying to act like I wasn't the one saying it was going to be good while you were like, I don't know, man. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Phil was against it from the beginning. Thank you, Marco. We all know that Marco is the most trustworthy person on this show, so... We understand. <laughs> Great Venom impression, bro. <laughs> yes. Thanks. First of all, if you're going to do a Venom impression, you have to say Eddie. That's, Eddie. that's all you say. Eddie. Surf the web, surf the Eddie. web, surf the web. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. I do it a lot. My girlfriend and I, we enjoy it. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. I won't, I won't speak to the context in which we enjoy it. But um, at any rate. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> uh, so th- this this topic is sadly not as funny as that. Uh, Mark Wade has launched a crowdfunding um, uh, situation over on GoFundMe to uh, pay for his legal fees because he's being sued by Richard Mayer, from, who is you know better known as Diversity in Comics. Um, so on, on his GoFundMe page, Mark Wade explains what's going on. He says, my name is Mark Wade. I'm a New York Times best-selling comics writer. In September of this year, I was sued by one of the perceived leaders of a relentless online harassment movement called Comicsgate, 
which I and many comics professionals strongly feel has unfairly and offensive, offensively targeted women, people of color, and LGBTQ plus creators working in our industry in an effort to make them feel more welcome. You can read more about some of the perspectives on comics, gain and harassment techniques in Washington Post and Inverse. He gives those links. I firmly believe this lawsuit is an effort to silence those of us who stand up publicly against bigotry and racism and who continue to defend diverse creators from harassment. Um, and then he gives a link to various different things about um, the lawsuit. So the root of this is actually kind of strange. Basically, um, a publisher called Antarctic Comics agreed to publish a book by Richard Mayer called Jawbreakers. Uh, now, Mark Wade contacted the publisher uh, just to kind of, I guess, ask them about why they would publish something by this person who has, you know, led the charge of Comicsgate on the internet. And the result of that conversation was... Uh, that they just chose not to publish the book. Um, and both of those parties say that the conversation was civil and uh, that it just Wade simply expresses concerns. Now, Meyer alleges that he has been blacklisted from the mainstream comic book industry as a result of this. And he also says that Mark Wade threatened Antarctic Press. Uh, and so now he is suing him for damages in relation to this book not being published by them because of Mark Wade. So uh, the big the big topic here is if you can if you can just sue Mark Wade and sap his money and sap his time and his energy and his resources over something like this which is I, I, to me anyway seems bogus. It's asinine. Right. What kind of negative precedent is this setting here? I mean, it's a really dangerous precedent, and I think uh, my question is, where is the money coming from for this lawsuit? Like, is this guy, like, I don't know what he does outside of being shitty on the internet, but he must have some money. Well, uh, unfortunately... (laughs) Being shitty on the internet gives him money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, True, I'm sure. He has him... And uh, several other of these creators who have aligned with Comicsgate have been very successful on Indiegogo, uh, which is a crowdfunding uh, right. platform. Um, they have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I know Jawbreakers in particular did very well. So he's got bank for this. And he's obviously willing to use it to to crush uh, creators. And Yeah, anybody who's in his way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't... I don't know, unless he has proof of the fact that Mark Wade threatened him, or not him, uh, the the publisher, there's really not a case here. You know, like, you can sue someone for, like, lying about you and, and making that lose business opportunities for you, but unless he said something that was not true and they can prove that he said something that was not true, pointing out that this guy is a member of these groups and you can look at his Twitter, like, it's it's fact, and any court will you know, figure that out, I think. Like, it's just to your point, it's a matter of, you know, Mark Wade's a pretty successful creator, but he's, I certainly doubt that he has the money to pay for a frivolous lawsuit, you know? It's also extremely, to your point, Pete, extremely difficult to prove any kind of slander or libel in court. Uh, There's a few guidelines that you have to uh, 
uphold to kind of prove it. And those laws are in place to kind of protect parody and protect newspapers and stuff like that. Um, so to kind of run on this defamation suit, uh, it's not really in the Nazis' favor. Yeah, but even and and even then, it was done in like a over sort of a, a phone call. It's not something public. It's not something that you're sort of putting out there. It yeah. was sort of, a, sort of a conversation, and and at most, it wouldn't be defamation. You maybe unless Wade was holding something over his head and forcing him to. Otherwise, they were just talking. Like yeah, like. But even so, like, how do you even prove that that private conversation happened? Like, you know, unless somebody from the publisher is willing to testify against him, which, like, come on. You know what I mean? Like, they they, they, they said, the publisher said that the conversation was very civil and that yeah. it was. So the thing is, is that this is not about the lawsuit. This isn't, this isn't at all about what Richard is alleging. This is about sapping cash from Mark Wade and proving a point. That if you cross yeah. these people, they'll take you to court. And a lot of creators that are under fire have less money and less recognition than Mark Wade. Mark Wade has several people um, who are well-known creators who have come up and, and have contributed to the defense. Uh, uh, like uh, Erica Schultz, Dan Slott, um, Joe Henderson. Like people that you Gaiman. would know. Uh, she's, yeah. She's – or she. I mean um, he, Mark, is also – at a level where he can start a Kickstarter and ask for help, and he has fans that will help him. Right. Whereas, like, you know, if this happened to somebody, like, you know, uh, even just, like, a one rung, two rungs below him on the grand scheme of, like, comics, you know, uh, general, like, like scope, you know? Like, the people, the names that you know, like, uh, they, that could be enough to wreck them. Right. Absolutely. Like, if you're um, living paycheck to paycheck... You know, you don't have the money to to go to court over something like that. Sean, you're his, ultimately right. It's a it's a statement. Yeah, his base is very activated in the sense, and I and I, I refer to Richard Mayers here. His base is very activated. They support. Listen, I'm just gonna be honest. They support comics more than the majority of actual comics fans do, or alleged comics fans. These Indiegogo projects are doing fantastically, and a lot of Kickstarters and different things like that for co- by comic creators um, who who aren't of this ilk don't do as well. Richard has no writing history to speak of. He's not a top talent in the industry or anything like that. And by all accounts, the previews of this book are not particularly good. But it doesn't matter because of who he is and his and what his message is. These people stand behind him and if he was to say, "Hey, I'm suing and I need some money to make sure that I can afford to do this," people will get, will, will get behind him. Keep politics out of my comics unless they're politics I agree with, in which case take my money. Doesn't matter if the quality's good. <laughs> I think that's a good note to leave it on honestly. Yeah, it's like that's that's what's happening here, you know. And I think that the the case that you laid out, Sean, is it's clear as day. Like that's what they're doing. That's what the strategy is. It's it's to intimidate people like Mark Wade from standing up to them. Because what if they come after you next? You know, what if it's your Twitter that they go through next? Exactly. It's a classic um, tactic, and it's always uh, pretty evil. Just something to keep keep aware of if you. You know, if you want to see these guys kind of go back into their hole, 
um, you know, support comics and support comic book creators who are under attack. Yeah, and go to the link we have in the description down below and throw Mark Wade a buck. Yeah, whatever you can do. Uh, so, in in brighter news, we are all very, very excited about Daredevil Season 3. Uh, we have all watched it. Oh, that um, came out? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. Damn, here um, I was it, watching Jessica Jones. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we ha- have a review for it. You can go listen to that after you listen to this. Um, but we're going to just talk a little bit about um, the showrunner for Daredevil, uh, Eric Olison, who talked about the process of creating this season and his hopes for a potential season four. Uh, so he was asked if he was asked by comicbook.com if he was eager to get back to work on season four of Daredevil. And he said, hell yes, I had the time of my life, man. I had so much fun. If you talk to anybody in the cast and crew or involved in the production, season three was a very pleasant experience for all of us. And we're all very good, very proud, rather, of the teamwork that made the final product possible. So, yeah, I'm hopeful hopeful that I'll get to do it again. Um, I got to say, Sean, I've been so nervous about this show not being renewed. Honest to God, in light of everything that's happened uh, with these Netflix shows. I have been too. Uh, to that point, apparently he is as well. He said, I can tell you that I'm very hopeful to go do a season four. There has not yet been any kind of an official pickup, but if there is, I'm very hopeful that I will be a part of it. Now, that's interesting because so far, Daredevil has had a different showrunner for every season. And this this one, if, if, if Eric were to stick, it'd be the first time... That yeah. that happened, um, and that accounts certainly for the changes. If you you know look, Daredevil season two, I think is absolutely brilliant. I I think I like it more than the first one, but there are a lot of people who do not feel that way. Right. And if you don't feel that way, that's a part of the reason why. Uh, at least a, a part of the reason why. Um, and there's not a guarantee that it's coming back. Yeah. Though I do want to point out. Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays Wilson Fisk, was asked on Twitter about the show coming back, and he said very likely, or something to that effect. Right. Um, well, I, I do know, uh, we talked a bit about it, and I, I believe we're going to get a little more into it, too, but we talked a bit about it last week, I think, where um, the the overall like conversation around these shows has been on a decline, for a long time, but even Daredevil season three, which so far is not tracking as well as season one or two, is doing markedly better than Jessica Jones two, Luke Cage two, or Iron Fist two. So I think it. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's going to get a season four, but it seems as though its chances are better than we might uh, be fearing. I I have a few thoughts here. For one, Netflix never releases its, its ratings. There's no Nielsen, uh, for, for Netflix. Uh, and so a lot of people try, a lot of third party people try to measure Netflix shows popularities through social media, which is obviously a, uh, a flawed way of measuring that. But then again, I think, uh, Nielsen is a flawed means of measuring (laughs) television ratings too. Um, that all said, uh, the amount of social media buzz for these Netflix shows has gone down exponentially with every show since the defenders. Um, 
However, in light of this, Jessica Jones was given a green light for season three in light of this avalanche of just diminishing support. So I think there's a truth to what Pete said in that Daredevil season three is still uh, markedly uh, more popular than Luke Cage and Iron Fist that there's, I think, a genuine opportunity for there to be a season four. Especially, I think, at least in my mind, if they they have greenlit Jessica Jones for season three, right? So because Daredevil season three was good and got more attention, I imagine that will help Jessica Jones season three, which if that one is also, you know, uh, another step back in the right direction, I think that could bode well for Daredevil as well. So uh, you guys have hit on actually what I was going to bring up um, now, and uh, it's that a Business Insider believes that they have the scoop on how Netflix's logic works when it comes to the cancellation of Luke Cage and Iron Fist and why they believe that uh, the other shows are doomed as well. So uh, the way it works out uh, for for the, the social media impressions that you guys referenced is uh, Luke Cage Season 1 had 300k uh, impressions going into the premiere, but by Season 2 it was down to 50k. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Iron Fist Season 1 had 120K, but by Season 2 only had 20K. Uh, Jessica Jones Season 1 was at 300K, and Season 2 had about half that number. And uh, Daredevil Season 1 was 275K impressions. Uh, Season 2 was at 200K, and then Season 3 was at 75K. Now, first of all, you have to take that with a huge grain of salt because... That's just social media impressions, and that don't mean squat. But uh, if you believe that that translates to um, views on Netflix, then that's a problem. I highly doubt that only you know what uh, that only seventy five k people are going to watch Daredevil season three. That's insane. No, um, if they it's representative they, that the conversation about these shows has changed, though. Yeah. Uh, so. But the one consistent thing around all of this is that for every single one of these shows, the downswing, the massive downswing happened after The Defenders. Even for Iron Fist Season 1, it was at 120K. Season 2, post-Defenders, 20K. Granted, Iron Fist Season 1 disappointed a lot of people, but... I don't think Defenders did anything to hype people up for where he was going to go next. That's true. I, I don't think you can blame it on for Iron Fist, but I, it certainly didn't help. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a shame because from uh, obviously none of us have watched the season two of, of Iron Fist, but from all accounts I've heard, it's a lot better. Right. So that this actually just brings us into the main topic, which is just... Is Netflix's defenders to blame for the fall of Marvel's Netflix shows? Yes. Uh, now, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> da, 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 all right, I'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, but but no, but in all seriousness, you look at you look at where these shows were at before the defenders was looming, and they felt like they existed in worlds that were adjacent to one another, very very similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there wasn't the crossover that you get with, you know, Avengers or a uh, civil war or something like that. Um, and that felt cool. And they would take like Claire Temple's character and she might, 
pop up in different shows, and she was kind of the thread that bound them together, and that was cool. Jessica Jones included Luke Cage in her show, but it wasn't like, it didn't feel forced, if you will. Now, if you look back with Daredevil Season 2, a big, big criticism that a lot of people had, and it's hard for me, even as a big fan of that season, to argue with this, is that it felt as though the inclusion of Punisher, Elektra, and the heavy focus on the hand was all centered around bringing us to Defenders. Um, Daredevil probably did the biggest push of anything to get us to that point. And then you had Iron Fist, which was another major push towards the Defenders. And then that came out and it was bad. So do you guys think that 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 is why we are at the point that we are? I don't, I don't think it's why, but I think it's a contributing factor. You know, I think that in general, um, I think a lot of television shows, right, like, they don't all come out and hold momentum. You know, a lot of times, like, I think when Daredevil came out, right, like, I don't think there was a ton of hype around it going into it, but then it came out and it was great and people, and then it was immediately a thing that was talked about and it was hot. And then I think the reason that Jessica Jones had better in uh, numbers was because Daredevil was so hot and like it could, it felt like it could do no wrong. And then Jessica Jones was like a great follow up, and you know a lot of people thought it was better than Daredevil or at least on the same level. And then I think Luke Cage generally people think is a little bit you know worse than both of those shows. And then nobody really liked Iron Fist. And then we got to Defenders, which was just you know messy. So I think I think as much as like I think if Defenders had been great. We wouldn't be seeing this problem. But I think the the conversation around those shows changed significantly from the Daredevil and Jessica Jones era to the we're moving into the Defenders era. I think the, the, the hype around them had already started to die down. And a lot of people hadn't seen all four shows. And, you know, I think I think we had we were super hot on them. So I think we definitely saw that. You know, and and felt like, oh, these are hot and this is the thing that's going on. But a lot of people that we even know in this space, you know, or that we talk to or listeners and stuff hadn't seen all the shows. Not every one of us has seen all the shows at this point, you know. Um, So I I think it was on kind of a downward trajectory because not all the shows are as good as Daredevil um, or Jessica Jones, you know. And and I think like Jessica Jones season two was was weak. Whereas, like, Daredevil's was not, in my opinion, not as good as the first one, but, like, Sean liked it better, right? So, I think none of them have had as consistent quality as Daredevil by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that is the is really the, the reason that they had the downfall that they did, is that the package isn't as compelling as the peaks of it. Yeah, like, to what Pete was saying with regard to, like, how things would kind of, in terms of uh, engagement things would trend where there was a decrease and Iron Fist was sort of that uh, larger drop. Had the Defenders been successful, it would have been sort of a, oh, it, it sh- you could have just pointed to the quality of maybe the the one show. It, it wouldn't have been something that would start to seep into the other things and start to look back at uh, Luke Cage's movie. All right, fine, like this was cool, but then where he sort of led up to in terms of his character and this show or XYZ thing, um, affected that so i uh, yes defenders definitely was 
a huge contributor, uh, but I think in its it, it was it was a, a linchpin because it could have made the the Netflix Marvel series better or worse, and it kind of fell to the latter. Imagine, if you will, if the Avengers was perceived as being as bad as the Defenders, how that would change the entire landscape of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, honestly, I think that's a great point because I think even looking at like the trajectory of pre-Avengers films, it was kind of similar. Like Iron Man was the one that everyone liked the most. Captain America was a little bit less hot and Thor was kind of whatever. And then Avengers was hit and it was and it was upper trajectory the biggest movie in the world yeah. right and it elevated things i think if defenders had done that the conversation moving into these seasons would be totally different but i think it already had stuff working against it and then it failed to deliver uh, me uh, yeah i think so we were we obviously a microcosm of all this we were all very hyped for the defenders i remember when that I trailer came great. out with the nirvana theme song in it and i was like this shit looks tight um who knows what the sky there the sky was the limit they made punisher uh his own tv show uh that did come out after defenders and that was renewed for a season two and so there was a little bit of a, 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 a spike in these valleys that came with iron fist season one but for the most but by and large and for the most part the defenders killed the hype for these netflix shows so much that no one on this podcast watch season two of luke cage or iron fist and only pete and i watch season two of jessica jones yeah but i I, that's the thing right is i don't i don't know that i would attribute it to just that because i think iron fist definitely killed the hype before defenders and then defenders kept that train going and then i was excited for jessica jones season two and you and i both watched it and like it was just not very good like, if anything, my hype for Luke Cage and Iron Fist, I think, was killed by Jessica Jones, season two, because it was so, like, oof. I think I think it's a train, though. If you, I mean, three out of the four shows that came out in a row, uh, collectively negative reactions there. Uh, Defenders, Iron Fist season one, uh, and Jessica Jones season two, with only Peek in there being Punisher. Uh, I mean, like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, so to speak, right? Uh, But fortunately for all of us, Daredevil came out. And now I feel a renewed interest in watching uh, Iron Fist Season 2, which apparently has Typhoid Mary in it, who's a major antagonist of of, uh, Daredevil in 80s uh, Nachenti comics, uh, played by Alice Eve, who's a very talented actress. Fuck, I'd want to watch that. I didn't even know until yesterday when I was like, like, oh, you know what? Season four, Typhoid Mary. I'd like to see that. Oh, she's already in these shows. Did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either when you and I were talking about that. Because yeah. we were like, texting each other throughout Daredevil season three. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Like Watching Daredevil season three, I actually am more interested to go back and watch the two that I missed. Because I didn't intentionally skip them. It was just like, well, I have other things going on. And we all aren't really getting into it. So we're not doing a review. So whatever. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. Whereas Daredevil is like, you know, that's one of my all-time favorite shows. I knew I wanted to sit down and watch that one. But now I'm kind of like, you know, I could go for more. Yeah, and I think that comes from riding the waves of a really quality program. Whereas something like Defenders, the 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 unification of these characters, I think, 
was so bad for my for my we did a ranking of all the netflix shows after i think iron fist season one and uh, i think we did it again after punisher and all of us had defenders at the very bottom and i think there's a reason for that Uh, yeah yeah and what was it that dirk said a a rising tide lifts all boats or something like that yes well i think the same logic applies here um yeah absolutely I don't know a person who was more excited for the future of the characters of the Netflix series after Defenders that that was excited for it after as they were before. I don't know anyone who feels like that. And that matters. Um, but I actually have some differing and maybe controversial thoughts on the real reason why these shows didn't work out. So number one, this isn't as controversial. Um, And this is purely speculation on my part. Uh, I think that a big reason for this is actually just Marvel and Disney wanting their characters back. I thought that too. (gasps) Poppycock! Whoa! Whoa. (laughs) Jessica Jones and Punisher, if I believe I'm correct, both their season twos uh, came out, or I'm sorry, Jessica Jones season two, Punisher season one, came out before we were seriously talking about the Disney streaming service. Um, And I think that that matters. Uh, They got greenlit before we really were having that conversation. And the two shows that dropped after the conversation are both gone. Um, So that, I think, has to be taken into account. Also, how much money do you think Marvel actually spent on marketing these shows? Because I did not see a lot of marketing for Daredevil Season 3 at all. Yeah, I would say that that is a big shift as well. There just hasn't been as much marketing. But again, Marvel has a history of doing this. They've done this in the comics. They did it to the Fantastic Four. They did it to the X-Men. They'll do this. Um, They they just don't care. so that's that's my one theory. But then my other thought, which I think is, is far more controversial, is I, I think that uh, The Defenders was destined for failure. And I think that these shows were destined for failure. Uh, Here we because, go. Sean's soapbox. Let's do yeah, it. Because it's different than films in which you can find a creative team over the course of years, that's going to work on one project that lasts two hours with Kevin Feige overseeing the whole thing, handpicking specific people to deliver a specific vision that is his vision. Uh, that's very different than here's four different shows with four entirely different creative teams with no specific individual guiding the ship, unless you count Jeff Lowe, but I don't. I don't. Um, to a place where not one like to a place where not one of the specific individuals who drafted one of the better shows is going to be the person who crafts the ultimate you know sort of culmination uh that's a big 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 problem you look at the cw's success with their shows those shows are not nearly as high quality as daredevil is but they do have greg berlanti and they do make sense together. And I think that when you look at the difference in quality between Daredevil and Iron Fist, you have to look at the creators. You, you have to look at the creators. And the same person, Scott Buck, no disrespect to that man, but the same person who 
did the Inhumans, did Iron Fist. And that's a big problem. If the one, if the same people who work on Daredevil worked on all those other shows, they would have all been classics. I have no question in my mind about that. But that can't happen on television. Hell, Daredevil had three different showrunners. Yep. But a lot of the same people behind the scenes that weren't the showrunner. Right. So, yeah. I, I think that these shows were destined for failure because... I think that applying the Marvel Cinematic Universe strategy to television doesn't work the same way. I mean, I think it could. They just didn't. They that wasn't how it is. Because to your point, the Arrowverse or whatever the fuck you want to call it over on you know Berlantiverse. Sure, the Berlantiverse, right? Like that. That they have one person that's keeping it all together and making there be enough cohesion among these things that are not cohesive inherently. Um, that it works. And I think, I think like the, the sad thing is that the recipe for success was there, you know? And I think, I do think that like the promise of defenders was dragged down by the fact that it just wasn't in the hands of the right people. I think all the actors, well, Finn (laughs) with Iron Fist is, I, you know, whatever. Um, I, I even like that show a lot more than most people. And I, I think it's, it's objectively and clearly the weakest among the bunch and he's clearly the the well, I I that's I think most people would feel that way. Yes, 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 um, yes. And I think of the the leading characters, he's clearly the weakest in terms of like casting and everything like that. I wouldn't change any of the other three actors who play. You know, um, Mike Coulter as as uh, Luke Cage is perfect. Kristen Ritter um, as Jessica Jones is great, and uh, we Charlie were just Cox. About him. Charlie Cox, right? Uh, as I, he's my daredevil, you know, like for sure. So, and I think each of those shows is like has a great season, multiple great seasons, or at least a really great arc, you know. And they're all they were all capable of being as good as Daredevil. And when they weren't, it was because there just wasn't clear enough. You know what it was? It's because they lacked vision. That's, that's, that's really, truly, truly, I think the problem with the Marvel Netflix, uh, universe or whatever you want to call it, this, this section of the MCU is that it just, it's not, it didn't have the forethought, you know, I think like it, it built as it was successful and then didn't think about or, or concern itself enough with maintaining that quality. With great moments, Mr. Mbessi comes great opportunity. That's what we had here. And they dropped the ball. You know, uh, Mr. President, I think you're right. <laughs> well, you know who doesn't lack vision? Uh, who doesn't lack vision is the showrunner for Daredevil Season 3, uh, Eric Olison, who delivered what in my opinion, is a phenomenal season three. And we're going to talk about that. Or you're going to listen to us talk about that. Uh, Because from here, you guys should jump over to listen to our review of Daredevil season three, uh, which you can do right now. Um, We thought it was great. I think. Maybe. Maybe. You have to listen to find out. Um, It's all right. And uh, (laughs) Marco. Give, let me, can, I, can I have your jacket, Marco? <laughs> you may. 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so go give that a listen. Uh, I'm very interested to hear what you guys at home have to say about why things haven't worked out for Marvel on Netflix, uh, ultimately. Is it because of the Defenders? Is it because they had just poor, poor creative teams on the other series that aren't Daredevil and Jessica Jones? Uh, or is it just a case of Marvel wanting their characters back? Uh, there are a lot of ways you can reach out to us to let us know your thoughts. We're on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. You can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com uh, with a random question of the week, buy or sell, or your thoughts on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. We do have other reader mail to, or listener mail, I should say, to get to. So uh, next week we'll, we'll read the rest. And uh, if you guys send in more, we'll read more. We like that. Uh, and of course, we are on YouTube, where if you are checking this out on YouTube, thank you so much. Make sure to hit that like button, uh, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All those things are free to do and help us out a lot more than they cost you. Hit the notification bell to make sure you are made aware when we drop all of our cool, cool, cool stuff. Uh, and again, the Infidel Book Club is out there right now, so head over and listen to that. It's a horror comic. It's a horror comic that has... A lot of uh, social, racial, heavy conversations. Ugh, uh, politics. Yes. Uh, so go give that a listen. And, and uh, uh, stay yeah. tuned for the next one. Uh, yes. Pride what of Baghdad. Uh, that'll be coming out the 30th of November. Nice. So get it now and read it. Uh, uh, who is that? Brian K. Vaughn? Yes, it is. Yep. Yes. There you go. I'd love to get some reader interaction on this next episode. So if you guys have read the book before or if you'd like to read it, please pick it up and give it a give it a listen or give it a read before you give the episode a listen and write in and uh, maybe we'll read some of your comments on the air. Yeah. Uh, so with that, let's jump into the plugs, Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on episode 105 of the Comics Pals. If you guys want to get some more content from me, remember you can catch me and Sean over on the Video Game Pals, which posts uh, the day after this on our podcast feed. And uh, it's a great show, if you like gaming. Uh, we're going to be talking about Red Dead Redemption quite a bit this week, because it dropped, of course. And uh, I have already gotten into it quite a bit, so um, I'm looking forward to talking about that with you fine folks tomorrow. So uh, please go check that show out if you're a gamer. You can also check out our Let's Play show over on the Video Game Pals YouTube channel, which if you haven't been to before, please go give it a subscribe and click the notification bell over there as well. And uh, you can check out Pals Play, which uh, generally posts Monday through Thursday, but this week, because we want wanted to do episodes about Red Dead, we're going to be doing Tuesday to Friday. So uh, make sure you go tune in for that. You'll get some of uh, Thompson's first impressions on the game as he gets to play it for the first time. So uh, that should be a blast. And uh, yeah, um, you can also catch me over on LootPots.com where I do some Nintendo news and reviews. Uh, I also host their weekly podcast, The Potscast. So if you're a Nintendo fanboy or girl, you can go check that show out and uh, show me some support over there. And if you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come talk to me about Daredevil. Awesome. Uh, Marco. You can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, I also released that short story that I had been mentioning. Uh, it's a two-page comic called Lauren Chanel. So please, if you want uh, to go check it out, go to my Instagram. Uh, it's in my bio. It's also on the PALS website if you go to the uh the meet a pal meet the pals uh page it'll be under my description cool phil 
Oh, all right. Shut up for a second, Shunny. I'm Kale Ward, and this is my true form. I'm an old, withered man, and you can find me on old social media at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O T O T O T O. And you can try out Werther's Hard Candy and watch Matlock reruns of me as I tell you how wonderful the 1840s were. Back to you, Mr. Phil. Uh, thanks, thanks, Pops. Um, <laughs> uh, he also forgot to mention his books are on panels publishing, but you know what? Alzheimer's and all that. Anyway, um, yeah, you can find me on social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop, and you can write to me about how, instead of doing the Defenders, maybe they should have done team-up shows instead first, like uh, Heroes for Hire, or do a Daredevil and Punisher team-up show, or something like that. That would have been neat, right, folks? Uh, anyway, yeah, find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's all I got. Cool. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Saltbox. Let's talk about Daredevil. I have super complex thoughts about it. Uh, so hear them on our review and then come talk to me about them. So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Happy Halloween. Woo! Spoo!